You are listening to Viva and Barnes Law for the People, an American and Canadian lawyer breaking down the latest in the legal world in terms everyone can understand. Enjoy the podcast. I can go in and I can pull up uh, the reports myself, but I've not been doing that because I don't. We don't. Mr. Jones, the question answers who's doing it now when you do get them. Well, I'm not allowed. You, does anybody send you? Actually, I'm not trying to answer, Judge. I'm not allowed under the judge's order to tell you about what happened to my company. That's not true, Mr. Jones. What I'm asking you is who sends you daily sales reports? Yeah, he's answered. Yes, been answered several times. I didn't get the answer, so can you say the answer who? Okay, you're telling me to answer the question. All right, so, well, I'm going to excuse the jury again. You're going to get your exercise today for those of you who wear tickets. So just put your pads down and you'll follow along. <laughs> we're, go- we're going to talk about this more when Barnes gets here, but we'll watch the video now. As the I think he's following the rules here. I think he was probably going to say some one of the bankruptcy. Who's that? Just the bankruptcy people are in control of it. Who sends you the daily sales? Objection, well, objection, objection. All right, so. They've taken so, it all. Objection. Well, that was nice and loud. Oh, there, there, there. <laughs> so. That calls for the identity of a person. No, no. So, in fairness to Mr. Jones, he could have said whatever the lingo is for a bankruptcy. Uh, a trustee is the lingo. A, a yes, trustee until yesterday, the CRO, the bankruptcy, is in full control of everything. So and they not responsive to my question. Objection. No. Because I can't say it. So the question, no, you're, you did the right thing. You asked. This is a trial, who, people. Get um, sent him the daily, who gets the daily sales reports now. And if the answer was the bankruptcy person, then he knows he's not supposed to say that. I said, who sends you? If it's the bankruptcy person, he says no one does. When he gets them, he gets them from the bankruptcy people. I don't think he said no one does. He said no that one is correct. Three times. All right, so, so we're going to come back to this because this this trial on the damages, because it's already a default verdict on the merits. Um, it's a gong show. It's a, it's a, well, someone says a clown show is probably more the accurate term. It's a gong show because what you have is someone, a a, a party, being restricted in what they can say, cannot, being told what they can't say, basically, and effectively told what they must say. Um, A lawyer who knows the the rules deliberately um, either pushing the envelope, trying to get Alex Jones to slip up, and we'll talk about it. That's what's going on in this trial. Alex Jones is being asked questions that he knows under the rules of this, what what Barnes is going to call a kangaroo court trial. I don't think anybody can much disagree with that. He knows he can't answer it in front of the jury without being held in contempt because this judge said she would be very, very ready to hold Alex Jones in contempt of court. A lawyer asking questions he knows Jones can't answer. Jones saying, I can't answer these questions. And then they have to kick the judge, the jury out while they have this, this debate over objections, we'll talk about it. But before then, people, uh, how's everyone doing? It feels like it's been like weeks since we've last seen each other. It's been 48 hours. Thursday night, Thursday afternoon, I did a stream with, um, with Keith Wilson, uh, the attorney for the Honorable Brian Peckford, uh, among other people. 
we did a live stream talking about the most recent hearing in a federal court in Canada about Brian Peckford's charter challenge. Uh, I was in New York City for the Rumble post going public after party. I was invited down and uh, I don't like traveling. Don't like traveling without the family. Uh, and I flew down Thursday, had the party Thursday night, flew back Friday. L- let me just let me just bring up one. I was going to start with this video, but I figured we had to get this video of Alex Jones out of the way so that everybody understands what is going on when Barnes and I talk about it. New York City, it's a unique place. This was from the terrace of uh, the NASDAQ building where Rumble is now trading publicly under the ticker symbol R-U-M. Spoiler alert, they had rum at the party. All right, everyone on Locals. That's too loud, that's too loud. This was uh, a Locals exclusive post at the time. Just a quick update, Robert couldn't make it down to the party, so I'm partying for both of us. This is the Rumble party right here. It's on public on NASDAQ. And uh, they're making party time. Uh, this is the building behind Look at New York. Beautiful, beautiful. Uh, New York is a beautiful city. Uh, architecturally, the people, the people are beautiful as well. Uh, I, I, there's a New York spirit. There's a New York attitude um, for good and for bad. I got off the airplane, went to the bathroom, and someone cut in line. And the guy behind me is like, hey, yo, you can't cut in line. I was like, dude, it's just, we don't need a, we don't need a fight over a, a, a urinal. Um, but it's beautiful. It's a beautiful place. Uh, Rumble has gone public. People, I noticed people saying they sold out already. That's the wrong take, people. Uh, Rumble having gone public now, merged with a, a company that was already trading publicly after getting shareholder approval. It's, um, it's the new era now. Uh, it's the new era where you actually have, I know people don't like the interface. They have complaints, criticisms, uh, constructive criticisms. It is going to, it's going to be an alternative, a viable, ever-growing alternative for free speech in the meaningful sense, not free speech. You can run around hurling ethnic slurs and insults in the meaningful sense. Um, and, you know, as we've discussed in previous streams, employing terminology that is, you know, Robert and I drafted it accordingly as relates to their terms of service, which is very much um, in, uh, similar to what we saw in the legislation um, in Texas, prohibiting big tech platforms, once they've acquired a monopoly status of sorts, from imposing viewpoint discrimination. That is what we mean at this point in time by protected speech, uh, free speech, it is public discourse that is free from viewpoint discrimination. So that's what's going on. Now, let me read. Oh, sorry. I didn't even give the standard disclaimers. The link to Rumble is in the pinned comment. And I see that Carly Ellison, the troll of trolls, is in the house trying to uh, incite people to make false reports of terms of service or community guidelines violations, which is itself uh, contrary to the rules of YouTube, but I don't care. Uh, but she pointed out one thing which I felt necessary to clarify. It's against the community guidelines to refer people to other websites, other platforms. No, it's not. What is against the terms of service or community guidelines on YouTube 
is to refer people to videos or content that is otherwise not permitted on YouTube, because that would be doing indirectly what YouTube does not allow you to do directly. Um, so just, just so everybody knows, the, the, the person who's in here in the chat encouraging others to report disinformation, timestamps of disinformation in my live streams, confession through projection, who could have ever thunk is promoting misinformation in this stream to try to get me in trouble. Oh, and also trying to direct people to her account for DMs. Whatever, just so everybody understands that. Now, standard disclaimers. Christopher Walsh, $5 Super Chat, says, these days, if you don't, if you didn't experience a robbery, you didn't experience New York. So funny story, I'll tell you that. Uh, I don't know if I'm getting crankier, more cynical, more tired, uh, you know, more curmudgeon -y. I've always loved New York City. I've always loved Times Square. Uh, you know, it's, it, it, it had a novelty, which I think has worn off now. Either, either uh, it's gotten worse or I've gotten softer. But uh, the hustling in Times Square, it's one notch off of just robbery. I mean, I call it polite robbery now. The hustle, in order to succeed in Times Square, it's gone from like, you know, selling albums to we're, we're going to get money out of your pocket and you better just make sure it stays peaceful. I don't like Times Square anymore. Uh, I don't know if I'm cranky, cynical, looking for problems. It feels a little different in spirit, but Central Park is the most beautiful place out there. Like it, it's, it's singularly unique. If New York City ever lost Central Park, the city would be done for. Um, North Korea might be North Korea might be safer from your fellow citizens, but not from your government. Oh, so what else? Uh, oh, sorry. Standard disclaimers: no medical advice, no legal advice, no election fornication advice. YouTube super chats—they take thirty percent over on Rumble, which I should have checked to see if we're if we're live there. Um, we have these things called rumble rants and I see two of them, a $50 rumble rant from medic Deb says, always grateful for your work. Thank you very much. And grandpa's place says, I went to move my channel to rumble a week ago and it still says pending. Hmm. I don't know about that. Uh, so what do we have on the menu for tonight? People? Yeah, we got Alex Jones. We got the Alex Jones trial. I watched the cross-examination of Alex Jones. It's a masterclass in what not to do as an attorney, even if you hate the opposing party, even if you have nothing but disdain for the opposing party, even if you think they are the evilest scum of the earth, and even if they are the evilest scum of the earth, you, one does not comport oneself the way the plaintiff's attorneys is comporting himself. You don't do it. It's unprofessional. It's undignified. And it makes a mockery of the process. Uh, we're going to talk about Project Veritas. Pro tip, three-card Monty is a scam. A, a scam at to go. No, until Barnes gets here, let me share an anecdote. Uh, so I'm walking back from the NASDAQ to the hotel where we're, we were put up, or we were staying. Um, a guy comes up to me and gives me an album. He says, uh, this is my new album. My new, okay, uh, first, and then I say, no, no, thanks. He says, no, no come on. It, it's good. I, he said something that I said, okay, I admire the hustle of the individual. I'll buy an album. Probably going to be just as good as the last one I bought a few years ago. Good. I listened to it. 
once or twice, as my grandmother said, the first and the last time. So I give the guy 10 bucks and I take the CD. And then he says, no, no, I, I know you got changed for that 50 in your pocket. I was like, what? It's like, I, you got changed for that 50 here. And he starts pulling out money from his pocket. And I know that I don't have a 50 in my pocket. I know that because I didn't have a 50 in my pocket. And I was like, no, dude, I don't have a 50 in my pocket. It's like, oh, I know you got one. It's like, no, you're just... Take the CD back and, and, and leave me alone. And I didn't say it rudely, but that's how it ended. Basically, I just got mugged for five, 10 bucks. Um, DeSantis and Trump 2024 dream team. Yeah, well, we're, we're, DeSantis is on the menu tonight as well because DeSantis and other players are being sued for the Martha's Vineyard political stunt. Uh, they found a law firm to represent... Um, uh, the legal term is illegal aliens. I know that now. Uh, to represent some of the illegal aliens, to file a lawsuit against DeSantis for fraud, intentional infliction of emotional distress for having flown them um, to Martha's Vineyard, sued by a Soros group. Yeah, I, I, I was I was going to look into the um, I was going to look into the diff, uh, into the um, legal the law firm representing them. Aaron Taylor, do I know the difference between direct and cross-examination? Yes, I do. Uh, is that to say that a lawyer who has disdain for his, his uh, opposing party should be disrespectful, should talk over them, should be absolutely emotional and out of control? No. Uh, direct examination is, uh, well, I mean, it, it depends on the context. Direct and cross-examination, cross-examination typically is when it's an adverse witness. Uh, which is what, oddly enough, an adverse, the other party's witness, which is oddly enough what um, Pattis would have to deal with in terms of Alex Jones by cross-examining him, even though it's his client, uh, after the chief examination by by plaintiff's attorneys. Oh, Alex Jones was never cross-examined. So, so I made a mistake if I said cross-examined, Aaron. So point well taken, I'll correct myself. He was not cross-examined because Pattis... Um, specific, we'll get into it, specifically said he's waiving his right to cross-examine Jones after the examination in chief from attorney Maddie um, because they'd be limited, more limited in cross-examination, especially based on the rules than they would be in when they call Alex Jones as their witness. So yeah, sorry, if I said uh, cross-examined by Maddie, I apologize. It was uh, examination in chief. Oh, first Sweden, now Italy flipped to the right. Who next? Anyhow, so that's it. Uh, what else is on the menu? We're not going to start with something until Barnes gets here. Let me pull up. Oh, oh, oh. Let's start with something coming out of Canada. That's, that's amazing. We'll, we'll talk about wordsmithing and, and why people hate lawyers. And I dare say sometimes rightfully so. Uh, my brother who has now gotten very interested in um, the world around him, although he's been interested in it. He's gotten more vocal about it, less shy, has been noticing that on a lot of websites or several websites in Canada, they're taking out or they're, they're discreetly editing out uh, the term safe and effective when referring to a certain Fauci juice jab jabby. They're, they're just discreetly started updating websites and removing the term safe and effective in respect of the jab for children. Um, and I'll just, 
I'll, I'll pull that up to show the to show the homework. That's a frog that I saw in my. Here we go. Uh, the befores and afters showing safe and effective being removed. Now these are from parenthomework.ca. They're not from government websites per se. I'm not actually certain who owns the domains, but uh, this one was from oh kids health kidshealthfirst.ca. Just discreetly, you know, just just memory holding it. We're living in George Orwell's 1984, where with the internet, uh, it's so easy to change it because oftentimes, unless you've been paying attention the entire time, you, you don't even know that it's been changed. And um, is the internet slowly scrubbing references to safe and effective regarding the jab for kids? The sites were created by Ontario hospital coalitions that track ongoing safety and efficacy data. Is the new data driving the change? Did federal marketing funding dry up? Something else. Questions. Inquiring minds used to want to know. Now inquiring minds just want to shut up and sit down. Um, but what I found, just surfing one of those websites, is even more amazing. Lawyer talk and legalese, non sequiturs. Um, you're not being lied to, but you're being misled. Very interesting things. Ch- check this out. This is from the uh, kidshealthfirst.ca. Is the COVID-19 vaccine, I believe now, given what certain doctors said, this should maybe say therapeutic, but let's, let's, let's not, let's not, that's not the fight for this argument. Is it safe for children and youth? Oh, the answer they give is yes. Health Canada has authorized the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine. So appreciate what you just saw there. This is called a non sequitur. It's, sil- it's silent. It's um, subtle, but it's a non sequitur. Is it safe? Yes. And here's a fact that indirectly uh, could, you know, imply safety, but doesn't in and of itself directly, um, directly, directly stated. Is it safe? Yes. And here's a random fact. Health Canada has authorized the BioNTech vaccine. They've authorized it. Is it safe? Well, the segue here that they're not making is, they could not have authorized it if it were not safe. That's, that's what, that's what the, is basically being said here. But notice they're not saying that. They're just saying, yes, it's authorized. Conclusion, uh, quasi-unrelated fact. Children 5 to 11 get the pediatric vaccine, at another fact, and children 12 and up get the standard vaccine. Just facts. The vaccine is given to de- facts. As part of the rigorous scientific review process, they have determined that this vaccine Here you go. Now they're going to get to the conclusion, which how do they get to this conclusion? Safe with no serious side effects, works well in providing a strong immune response, and the vaccine is of high quality. Well, that sounds like it was actually translated from a foreign language. Listen to this, legalese. So these are the conclusions now. First, first the non sequitur. Yes, it's safe. And Health Canada approved it. Here they say it's safe, no serious side effects. What's to back that up? No serious side effects have been identified in the trials of five to eleven-year-olds. Not no serious um, uh, side no no side effects have been identified in five to eleven-year-olds. No serious side effects, so that implies that some side effects have been noticed, but not serious. Okay, set that aside. Have been identified in the trials of five to eleven-year-olds. And then another fact: millions of people aged twelve to seventeen have received the COVID vaccine in Canada. I, I'm not, I'm not um, you know, reading too much into it. I'm reading it the way it 
uh, was deliberately drafted. No serious side effects have been identified in the trials of five to 11 year olds. Well, this has been going on long enough now in real time that if I want to be reassured it's safe, I want to know that no serious side effects have been identified in five to 11 year olds, not with that little bracket of in the trials, especially since I don't know how many five to 11 year olds were in the trials to begin with. 200, 300? Wordsmithing, they're not lying to you, but they're misleading you in real time and egregiously so. Uh, there was one more super chat, which I'm going to see. How can the appeals court completely dismiss the Clinton sock drawer argument? I don't know what that means. Hold on. Let me, let me bring this up. I see Barnes in the backdrop now. And uh, there's some, there's in our locals chat, people were, people had some good recommendations as to what the top stories of interest were tonight. How can the appeals court completely dismissed the Clinton sock drawer argument? Okay, I'm, I'm going to flag that because I'm not sure what it means. People. Barnes is in the house. Remember, we're going to be going exclusive to Rumble at about the 30-minute marker. It's in the pinned comment. Um, And by the way, if anybody uh, does notice I say anything factually incorrect, tell me. Let me know. Don't impute malicious intent if I said cross-examination and not examination as though I did it on purpose. Uh, But let me know. And I will happily, gladly, and readily correct myself in the next live stream, which will be tomorrow. Okay, bring it in the Barnes. One. To Robert, sir, how are you doing? Good, good. Uh, let me see if your audio is loud. I'll let the chat tell us. Robert, uh, before we get going, before you give us the menu of the night, I've, I've gone over it. Uh, what book do you have behind you, and what cigar do you have in your hand? Uh, the book is the book that we're, we are reviewing at vivabarnslaw.locals.com, doing uh, Friday night book reviews at, on different sections of the book throughout the month uh, this election season. It's uh, the Emerging Republican Majority, written by Kevin Phillips. Back, uh, it was actually a text he started drafting in 1966, uh, and he predicted things that became extraordinarily prescient in time. And uh, cigar, just called HR. I forget uh, which brand it is, but uh, but yeah, yeah, we got a nice, uh, you know, at least a dozen topics tonight to cover, including the Clinton sock drawer uh, issue. Uh, uh, that's in reference to the fact that Clinton put materials that uh, were presidential records and uh, potentially classified conversations, uh, tapes of it, in a sock drawer and, and never turned it over to the National Archives. Judicial Watch sued, and that, that's the case where the federal district court said the president gets to make unilateral decisions about what is and isn't a presidential versus personal record in terms of the classification of it and said that there was no right or entitlement by anybody uh, to that other than the president. And uh, But we'll get to how it applies. So we got a big electorals clause case up before the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, we got whether Zuckerberg committed tax fraud as well as election fraud and his election uh, fornic- fortification efforts. Uh, while we're still on YouTube for a few more minutes, we'll talk more bluntly about it when we're back over on Rumble fully. Robert, Robert by the way, I, they're, they're letting people talk about this now on YouTube. YouTube is slowly... I think it's now becoming ex- as acceptable as it became to talk about uh, the Rona originating in a lab in China. But we'll, we'll see. Maybe YouTube is starting to feel the pressure of, of the rumble. Uh, we'll be discussing the uh, Amos Miller, the Amish farmer case and its consequences for everybody because it goes way past him uh, or the Amish community. Uh, the Trump special master 11th Circuit decision that put the deep state over democracy. Uh, the Trump 
uh, versus New York, the ludicrous application of a New York state law to try to take over all of Trump's businesses uh, and bar him from ever doing business in New York again and take over all of his properties. Uh, Mike Lindell's suit against the FBI brought by uh, being brought by Alan Dershowitz. The FBI caught lying in the lockbox case and that we discussed previously in L.A. Uh, the continuing disgraceful show trial that is the Alex Jones trial, uh, a comparable uh, another uh, more piece of evidence to the degree anyone needed it that uh, the D.C. jury pool is a waste of time as Project Veritas was assigned damages on a bogus grounds in a jury trial just held there. The, uh, in my view, frivolous suit brought against uh, Governor DeSantis in Massachusetts, but it's in Massachusetts, so who knows, based on the Martha's Vineyard issue, where apparently getting free tickets, free hotel, and free food has become false imprisonment and intentional infliction of emotional distress. That's what happens when you let cases like the Alex Jones case go forward, as uh, you're going to get bad, crazy legal doctrines. Uh, a pro-lifer who was raided by the FBI SWAT team style in front of his kids because they didn't like how he handled himself at a protest. Uh, and the vaccine mandates, Head Start mandate struck down, vaccine mandates in New York struck down, vaccine mandate issues were being brought up in Canada to different responses, uh, COVID insurance disputes about what is and isn't physical, and the Russian mobilization and referendums taking place in the Donbass and other regions of Ukraine, so whether to join Russia and whether or not the Balkans provide precedent from an international legal perspective for the legality of the actions being taken. So, Robert, I mean, I don't, I don't even know which one. Which one should we start on? Should we start on the on the SCOTUS case, the uh, electors' clause? Uh, electors yeah, clause? that was uh, at that to the uh, poll takers at vivabarnslaw.locals.com. It and Amos Miller were vying for first. So, yeah, we'll start with the electors' clause case, and this is a case that if you are at vivabarnslaw.locals.com, you're probably familiar with the legal principles involved during the uh, Barnes Law School videos we were doing back at the time of the election controversy and dispute. Uh, back in November and December uh, and January uh, of 2020 and 2021. So the Constitution provides under the Elector's Clause that the legislatures of each state will decide the uh, how people are represented in terms of federal office. This includes the legislature of the state having exclusive power over how they will pick the president and the state legislature having power along with Congress over how members of the House and the Senate are selected. The issue has come up before the U.S. Supreme Court because many justices in the past have voiced concerns about what's been happening at the state level, which is state courts are intervening in trying to usurp the power of the state legislature. Uh, in particular, in North Carolina, once the state legislature became Republican, and the state Supreme Court had a 4-3 Democratic edge, they just suddenly decided that their free elections clause of their state constitution gave them the court the power to pick uh, how redistricting would take place rather than the state legislature. They repeatedly rewrote the rules according to whatever standards they set to such a degree that you had four political scientists appointed by a court who were affiliated with the Democratic Party and often met in secret with them uh, actually shaping and writing the districts that people will be elected from in 2022. One of the people they took out through their redistricting was Madison Cawthorn, who lost a large part of his district and then lost in the primaries. So the goal, uh, this case up for the U.S. Supreme Court on whether that is patently illegal, that, the, that is stripping courts of that power is the goal of the challenge. The Supreme Court has agreed to take the case. Briefing has already occurred. Oral argument is going to occur. 
uh, and it's a major case that would restore the state legislators as this, as the source of power, not just in congressional elections, because the implication will be that uh, they have the exclusive power in presidential elections, which will in turn potentially preclude what took place in 2020 from reoccurring again. Uh, break the da- break it down for the um, uh, I just forgot the word now. The, the districting when they when they recap. What's the word? I just lost it. Redistricting uh, when, when they redistrict. I know we've talked about it. It's I, I'm not totally comfortable with the concept. How, how does it work? How often do they do it? And what are the criteria? for uh, redrawing the bounds of any particular districts. So the way the Constitution provides is that the legislature of each state, once they're apportioned uh, by the census effectively, which that's a separate dispute that's burgeoning up in the courts, because the census somehow accidentally wrongfully uh, determined the population of a bunch of states that just accidentally discriminated against conservative states and favored democratic states, right? So we'll see if that ever ends up getting wrapped up. When Trump tried to fix the census, they took, you know, Congress went nuts. They sued him. They took all kinds of things because they knew they had control over who was implementing and administering the census. And once again, they used the COVID pandemic because the census was taken in 2020 as the pretext for their errors. But putting that aside, census says, you state Tennessee, here's how many congressional districts you get. Here's how many representatives in the House of in the House you get. You always get two senators by definition under the Constitution. The senators are elected statewide, so there's no redistricting to be done. But in the case of the House of Representatives, there is. Uh, and so the question is, uh, what what areas within a state will determine who represents the state and the uh, the interests of the state in Congress? So like in Tennessee, it's usually nine members of Congress. So the Constitution next says exclusively vest the legislature of each state with that power. Now, sometimes the controversy has been, what if the state legislature itself, or by constitutional referendum, defer uh, de- gives that power, delegates that power to an independent commission? A split 5-4 U.S. Supreme Court decision says that's okay, that's still legislative power within the meaning of the Constitution. But the four dissenting justices thought no. They thought that that it always had to be done by the legislature of each state. Is, there's, isn't there a principle, uh, delegatis non potest delegare? Is this, would that be a case where the five say, by legislative methods, they said they can delegate this to an administrative body or somebody else, where the four says, no, that it, it's their power, not theirs to delegate? Exactly. Because it's the U.S., it's a unique situation where the state legislature is explicitly, effectively kind of created by the U.S. Constitution, because the U.S. Constitution says the legislative body of each state will be the state that determines the apportionment uh, of how the districting takes place, uh, the redistricting take, takes place. And typically it takes place every two years after a census, but sometimes there's redistricting that occurs in between there, too. But typically that's how it works. And the uh, but so it's a, almost a federal constitutionally created body. So the uh, various lawfare folks on the left, once Democrats lost majority control of the state legislature in North Carolina, came up with a novel theory. Their theory is the definition of legislature under the U.S. Constitution is actually dependent upon the state constitution that creates that legislature. And thereby, the state constitution can limit the state legislature and the state constitution can thereby give powers to either the executive branch or the judicial branch to overrule the state legislature. 
Many state constitutions include a clause that guarantees free elections. I would note the courts have never been willing to enforce use that to enforce uh, against fraudulent elections, just a little side point. But the new lawfare theory was that the uh, free elections clause effectively allows the judiciary to overrule the state legislature in redistricting, despite the explicit reference and exclusive power given to them by the U.S. Constitution. And uh, they had always rejected that throughout history, pretty much every state. But once Democrats started losing legislative power in a bunch of these states, oh, courts suddenly saw it totally differently, uh, magically uh, shifted their perspective. And in so doing, suddenly said, no, the electors clause, uh, it doesn't define legislature. Legislature is what our state constitution says. Therefore, our state constitution can restrict our state legislature. Therefore, we can overturn redistricting. And they then also created a new constitutional right no one had ever heard of before which was that free elections meant no partisan bias in redistricting. That that's not at all what, of course, it means, but uh, the, so, uh, nor has it historically been applied. Again, Democrats are the masters of redistricting and have been for many, many generations. They're only discovering these when they no longer control the redistricting process. So the North Carolina Supreme Court overturned the state legislature's maps. They came up with all these little standards that just conveniently meant Democrats had better chances of winning House races. Uh, they can't, so the state legislature went back, came up with a new set of maps. Uh, courts overturned that one, said, nope, still not good enough, not getting enough Democrats in there. Uh, they appointed four uh, political scientists, disproportionately Democrats themselves, of course. There was motions to disqualify them that were ignored by the courts. There were communications between the so-called independent neutral experts and the uh, 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 ex-party communications with the plaintiffs, i.e. Democrats. And they came up with a, and they wrote the map in secret. So we went from the legislative, the elected branch in public drafting the maps to four political scientists secretly writing the maps, which just accidentally, circumstantially ended up favoring Democrats. So they took the state legislators and then a bunch of amici joined in this, took this case up to the U.S. Supreme Court, saying the North Carolina Supreme Court doesn't have this power. No North Carolina court has this power. Governor doesn't have this power because the U.S. Constitution exclusively gave it to us for a reason. Well, uh, let me ask. It's either the obvious question or the dumb question. Who then intervenes to uh, not have oversight but keep in check and balance the legislature themselves if they decide to do something totally funky? It's non-reviewable. Uh, I mean, that that's the that. In fact, this was debated at the time of the founding. Should it be reviewed? The only people who can review the House and the Senate choices is Congress. That they have some supervisory role, but essentially the founders decided we only want the elected legislators to be setting the rules for how electors get appointed and for how members of the House and the Senate get appointed. And Congress's only role will be as to Congress itself. They will have no role outside of what's separately identified over the state legislators' choice of electors. And the point was, if somebody else has that power, then you're giving that power to them. It's either in the hands of the elected representatives or it's not. The remedy, if they misuse their power, is at, ele- is at the ballot box. Now, the other two limitations are the 14th Amendment. One I agree with, one I don't. So the 14th Amendment clearly was intended to ensure that the manner in which redistricting was done would not be racially discriminatory and authorize the Voting Rights Act and other bills, though a lot of those laws end up being misused in my, my view. But clearly the Constitution did intend that with the 14th Amendment. Now, the other part that the U.S. Supreme Court just made up out of whole cloth 
uh, is that the 14th Amendment requires one person, one vote. What this did is like people have asked, why can't we have a version of the Electoral College within a state if a state chooses to do so? Well, Tennessee long did. Tennessee gave more political weight to rural and small town areas to represent the culture and value of those communities than it did big cities. That meant that it wasn't pure one person, one vote in the apportionment of the state legislature. It was based also on where you happen to live, reflecting the political values of that community. U.S. Supreme Court came and said, no, no, no. One person, one vote. Just coincidentally favored urban liberal Democrats, just put it that way. Uh, and urban political machines and the urban political establishment at and disfavored the rural small town communities that now could be openly politically discriminated against without protection. But those are the only two restrictions on apportionment. There has to be one person, one vote. It can't discriminate based on race. Um, okay. And now, so hypothetically, then, or not hypothetically, the courts can intervene if there's itself a constitutional violation in the manner in which the legislature is exercising its, its powers. Other than that, it's to the legislature. And if yeah. people don't like yeah, the it, the courts are only, I mean, if they're violating one person, one vote, or they're violating racial discrimination, the courts have power nowhere else. Uh, North Carolina is the one that said, Oh yeah, actually we do. We can actually decide also whether it's partisan or not. And uh, so the Supreme court agrees to take it up what does that mean procedurally? When is there going to be any movement on this? Before 2024, but after 2022? Uh, probably after 2022 at this point, because they're operating with these maps. So the, uh, but, uh, uh, but, uh, but before 2024, I mean, the, the, the uh, oral argument is coming up. The decision will issue sometime in 2023. So the uh, maybe sooner, but definitely by 2023. And my prediction, you've already had Kavanaugh, Roberts, Alito, Thomas, uh, all voice and Gorsuch, all voice the opinion that the Electors Clause it denies and deprives anyone but the legislature of the state of decisions over redistricting, uh, other than Congress. And so, yet yeah, there's there's your five. You know, Barrett's an unknown, but uh, my guess is I don't think Barrett would go AWOL on this one. So I think it'll be a six-three decision that uh, determines that that strips court state will end the uh, lawfare of state courts usurping this power. It will also end executive branch agency misconduct in the context of elections. And its biggest impact, in my view, won't just be redistricting. It will establish what I was arguing all the way back in 2020. The state legislature has the exclusive control over who, how electors are appointed. Congress has no role in that one uh, beyond election contest which is a separate issue they have no uh they don't get to oversee those rules at all they do it over the house and the senate they don't over the electors and by affirming that it will explain just how illegal the 2020 election unconstitutional the 2020 election always was all right, which well, we can talk about some of the who was up are we all, uh, just on rumble yet well let's i was gonna say i didn't realize we're almost 40 minutes in people I know some people don't like it. It's a little less convenient for the chat. We will live with it. Growing pains. And uh, it's my agreement with Rumble anyhow. So I, it, it will grow. Uh, I mean, I'm following the chat live at vivabarneslaw.locals.com. So if you want to hop in that chat rather than the Rumble chat, go ahead. And I say, people, pressure on Rumble to fix the bugs is what they, is what they need almost. So we're winding it down on Rumble. Links in the pinned comment. And... Uh, Let's do this. Three, two, one. I think we're alone now. All right. We are on Rumble. 
exclusively. And when this processes, I'll, I'll put the link in the pinned comment uh, in the comment section. Robert, where do we go to from here? Uh, what's the... Oh, so let's talk a little election fornication. <sighs> okay. You, you go. I, 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 don't, I don't even know where to start on this one. So the Center for American Renewal, which is a more populist-aligned organization trying to support more populist ideas in the, in the think tank world, one of the few that's legit, like unlike America First Policy Institute. America First Legal is very good. That's Stephen Miller. America First Policy Institute is a bunch of corrupt deep state hacks aligned with Jared Kushner and big oil money out of Texas, pretending to be the uh, substitute cabinet for Trump. I mean, Trump, you know, you can't underestimate his foolishness in that regard of thinking they're America first, but they're not. And and some of those people affiliated with them use the big tech lawsuits to promote themselves, those big tech lawsuits that lost quickly because they were poorly brought, poorly drafted. But the uh, but the Center for American Renewal is a much more legitimate organization. People like Cash Patel, others affiliated with it. And they filed a referral request and uh, a a kind of a whistleblower complaint. Uh, but it wasn't from inside information to the Internal Revenue Service. Charles Reddick, who I know from back in the day, it's another story for another day, as what I think about Charlie. But the uh, uh, outlining how Zuckerberg and Zuckbucks, as it came to be known, not only committed election bribery, as identified by the special counsel appointed former Wisconsin Supreme Court justice in Wisconsin, by co-opting the election, uh, the election machinery, the administrative state regulating the elections in key areas, but also engaged in massive scale $400 billion worth of tax fraud and did so by disguising his partisan political activity as nonprofit 501c3 nonpartisan nonpolitical activity, that he used that as the front to do it, both because it was easier to co-opt various election government uh, agencies in the effort to basically, it was basically a one massive democratic get out the vote effort, which included illegal drop boxes, uh, the refusal to enforce rules. Uh, the state legislatures set rules for how electors are to be appointed uh, governing their elections in the terms of signature checks, in terms of who was uh, qualified to cast a mail-in ballot, how they cast that mail-in ballot, all the drop boxes detailed in 2000 mules and all the issues that involved when he's talking about the different organizations that were involved in this D'Souza, a lot, almost all these organizations depended upon the money funded by Zuckerberg through establishing those illegal drop boxes and mass mail-in voting and questionable qualifications of voters and no signature match check and no adequate counting and canvassing of the ballot in the first place. And what's amazing is it's Zuckerberg. So of course he took a tax deduction for all of it. So he wrote this off as a tax deduction, only to use the 501c3s as a front in order to be able to infiltrate election government agencies, including the Georgia Secretary of State, by the way, Ratberger, took millions of dollars from Zuckerberg to do his bidding. Uh, and, and, you know, because it gives them more money to hire more people in their staff and make themselves look good and promote themselves, et cetera. It was also where they targeted this, right? It'd be one thing if they were across the state of Georgia, for example, but it wasn't. You track where they spent the money to ensure there was a maximum get out the vote effort through uh, drop boxes and mail-in balloting, delivery of ballots, et cetera, outside of the legal framework. It, it's overwhelmingly in Democratic-oriented counties. You know, they, so that's where they targeted their efforts. So that shows it was purely partisan. But it goes beyond that. As, Holly, uh, uh, as Molly Hemingway uh, for The Federalist has detailed uh, in a range of pieces, 
They were uh, they often hired Democratic political consultants. <laughs> so, I mean, these, these nonpartisan, nonpolitical organizations are almost all univer- uh, invariably run by Democrat, longtime Democratic activists. Number one. Number two, they were using much of the funds to pay Democratic political consultants to come up with a Democratic game plan. And the only reason they have tax free status and the only reason that donors to it get a write off on their tax returns is because they're supposed to be non-political, non-partisan, purely charitable entities. These were not 501c4s. These were 501c3s, pure charities. No, you can't get involved in politics. And uh, and here they were overtly doing it. And then he took probably a 400, the assumption is, a $400 billion tax write-off. So he not only committed massive scale election fraud in 2020, Mark Zuckerberg committed massive tax fraud in 2020. Uh, well, so first of all, I mean, the argument is going to be get out there and vote is nonpartisan. Uh, we, we pick populated areas, which tend to be Democrat, and uh, we employ the best of the best in those areas, which tend to be whatever. Call them Democrat aligned think tanks. Uh, does that I mean, I, that's that's going to be the rebuttal argument. Is that not going to hold any water? No. Uh, I mean, remember, the Tea Party organizations are being shut down for being political, even though they were 501c4s, which allow certain forms of political activity. If you want to be involved in politics, you can't be a 501c3. It's that simple. Everybody knows this. And these were overtly political organizations. What he did is he funded organizations that had pre-existing budgets, but they were pretty small budgets. And he all of a sudden converted them for politicized purposes. I mean, if they weren't hiring exclusively Democrats, if they weren't paying Democratic consulting firms, if they weren't targeting almost exclusively Democratic areas, maybe it'd be a different story. But that is, but you know, the but that's what happened. And so the their ability to pretend that this was nonpartisan when it was overtly partisan, and when which there's wide ranging evidence of in their hiring practices, in their promotion practices, in their expenditure practices, etc. Uh, to me, it violates the point and purpose of a 501c3 organization. And thus, they shouldn't have tax-exempt status. And Zuckerberg uh, shouldn't be allowed a tax deduction. And in my view, he knew this all the way through, and he just committed fraud to perpetrate the election hoax that he wanted. Well, so let me, and let me ask you that. The consequence is going to be what? You have to pay back some money that you deducted as... as, oh, as I, mean, it's, I mean, what it should be is prison for 20 years. Well, that, so now... <laughs> That's what I'm getting with this. We'll get to the. um... We're talking about a $400 billion tax fraud. It would be the biggest tax fraud case in the history of America. This is what they funded into these entities to get out and vote in Democrat. I mean, sorry, 400 million. million. This is through Facebook. This is not Zuckerberg. This is through Facebook, the entity, not through Zuckerberg. No, no, Zuckerberg personally, he and his wife. (laughs) See, that's even worse, actually. But um... yes, it is. Okay, uh, and who? And my guess is, if you dig in deeper, you'll find Zuckerberg used Meta, Facebook's new name, uh, and Instagram to manipulate elections even further. You'll find that he, they, that he used it to let uh, Democratic voters know people that, that they use their algorithms to figure out who's a democratically inclined voter, and then used their institutional resources to promote Democratic stories, suppress Republican stories, promote Democratic candidates, suppress Republican candidates, and make sure Democratic voters got out to vote and didn't do so with Republicans. That you've had massive election fraud by one of the biggest big tech companies that now also involves tax fraud at multiple levels, violation of state laws in multiple states. If any of the, if Brnovich, that wuss in Arizona who got whooped in the Senate race, deservedly so, I mean, his wife's on the federal court because Trump put her on and That was another mistake. But the uh, uh, had any, you know, he says he's serious and sincere about this. 
Zuckerberg should be under massive criminal investigation. Trump and Giuliani shouldn't be under criminal investigation for asserting constitutional rights and exposing election fraud. Zuckerberg and Facebook should be under criminal investigation for engaging in an election. And now it's apparent tax fraud. We had discussed this earlier as well. I mean, this is personal on Zuckerberg's side, but then we had floated the question, suppressing a story could be deemed to be a contribution in kind. When Facebook yeah, got involved. These were illegal donations. They were disguised illegal donations. That's what they were. It's, it sounds an awful lot exactly like what was described in that Time magazine of a secret I mean, they cabal. bragged about it. They bragged about it. You know, and Zuckerberg did this in part for his own political reasons. He did it in part because they attacked him so much for Cambridge Analytica, which had no meaningful impact on the 2016 election. That was a crock. But, you know, the uh, and, and did it because Soros, George Soros, brought massive pressure on him. He was trying to short his stock, uh, was waging war on him. And Zuckerberg realized if he helped defeat Donald Trump, George Soros would go away. And he did. And he used George Soros methodology, create uh, non-governmental organizations uh, to do so. The problem is he violated state and federal law, tax law and election law in the process. Well, so uh, which state is going to be the first to take any action? Justice Department. Well, Wisconsin could have, but they've kind of wussed out because they have a corrupt political leadership in the Republican Party there, uh, including the majority leader of the House. Uh, and, and, and that's, that's still the hurdle. The hurdle is still the Republic, the, the main hurdle to institutional election reform and exposing the bad acts are leaders within the Republican party. And, uh, and in some cases, judges that Trump appointed, uh, you know, as we'll get to the special master case. I mean, yeah. it's these old establishment federalist society type folks. The publication, the federalist has nothing to do with the federalist society. The Federalist Society has been co-opted for a long time by corrupt deep state actors who favor institutional power at the expense of ordinary people and always have and always will. And that that's still that's one of the main hurdles. The only way to answer that is in the court of public opinion, hoping somebody has either the brains or the brouhaha to actually take action in these cases because it's getting egregious. Well, I mean, we're, we're, we're going to get to it, but we're seeing the tax issue cases that Letitia James is, is filing against anything Trump in New York. Um we see the lawsuits that are being filed by seemingly by activist uh, law firms against DeSantis. There's there are are, are, are um, red states, Texas, maybe Abbott, uh, Florida. I don't know what how much of this could have been argued to have been done in Florida. Is it a question of finding a Republican governor of a Republican state to say, let's pull a little Letitia James in our state, but let's make sure it's a little bit more legally sound? Well, DeSantis ran a clean shop in Florida, and that's why, by the way, if you note Florida, which almost always trends with the rest of the country in terms of direction, Florida went more Trump than it did the cycle before, right? But Florida didn't have any of these late reporting problems. That's because they got strict rules and they were strictly enforced. DeSantis replaced some of the Broward County corrupt people himself personally. He's taken out corrupt DAs in Florida. So the uh, so that that's why it didn't happen much in DeSantis. But any, any local county prosecutor could bring these claims. Um, you know, th- that includes Georgia, Arizona, uh, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Michigan. Uh, there's Republican rural county prosecutors who clearly have this power. They're just not exercising it. They're not utilizing it. Um, and that that's a mistake. Of, they've got to start to wake up. I mean, the reason why they're waging war on J.D. Vance and Blake Masters is because both of them understand it's time to quit being unarmed and pretending that we're in Marquis Queen- Queensbury rules when we're in a gutter fight. And you got to respond accordingly and, uh, uh, you know, w- within what the Constitution allows and permits. This was illegal behavior, unconstitutional behavior. Constitution absolutely permits 
and this and requires for confidence in election integrity that Mark Zuckerberg and his allies be criminally prosecuted for what they did. Uh, are you betting or it's just not going to happen? Not going to happen anytime soon. It will require new gubernatorial elections. Maybe maybe if Carrie Lake is elected in Arizona, maybe if uh, the Republicans win in Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, or some combination thereof, uh, maybe they'll suddenly discover some cojones in Georgia. Uh, not likely with Ratberger likely to get reelected as Secretary of State since he's implicated in this corruption. Uh, and maybe if Trump wins in 2024, uh, something will finally happen. Uh, but it will likely require major election change and continued effort in the court of public opinion uh, to put pressure on people to take remedy because this is outrageous to see this. You know, here you have one of the biggest tax frauds ever, one of the biggest election frauds ever, and nobody's even investigating this person. People in the chat on on Rumble are saying the rhinos won't do anything. Uh, Oma Kawao says, can you talk about the Supreme Court leaker Sotomayor and Gorsuch made statements that some information should be released this week? We'll see when that gets there. Uh, Robert, there was a I mean, my bet is that no one will ever be prosecuted for that. That's my bet. I, I, I'm with it. I made the bet all the way back. I, I'll, I'll make the bet just because I've seen how things work now. Uh, the, certain people get prosecuted up the wazoo. Others do not. Uh, Medic Deb says, put your cigar away. People are going hungry. People are cold. How can I respect you? I don't know if that's supposed to be. I'm assuming uh, that's a joke. I, I, it, it, it has to be because I, one, tell me what to be. Hey, if people are cold and hungry, we could briefly transition to Russia. It's because of the EU and the George Soros inspired Bill Gates idealized Joe Biden administration's ridiculous policies on energy. And it includes sanctions is half of it. I mean, I mean, in Europe, at the EU, and I'll be on later this week, uh, two notes in that regard. What are the odds? Returns, but at a new time, every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern, uh, exclusively on Rumble, Richard Barris, People's Pundit, and I will be breaking down the election. This Tuesday will be the Senate races. The next Tuesday will be the governor's races. The next Tuesday after that will be the House races. And then we'll be just breaking down different races as we go along. And always getting into news and information and other information as well. But what are the odds? Returns Tuesday night, 7 p.m. Eastern. And Thursday at 1, I will be live with the Duran, breaking down everything geopolitically on YouTube and Rumble. Uh, and, and that will be fun. But the uh, uh, it's because well, of terrible policies. I mean, I guess the EU is going to – are they going to sponsor blankets for people? Robert, like the, let's let's back it up one second before we get there. The latest news out of, out of the Russia-Ukraine war is that Ukraine is making gains, uh, gaining back territory in the east, uh, never in the east. Russia has resorted to conscription. Uh, Fighting-aged men are fleeing Russia if they can. The narrative is that it's collapsing for Russia. Ukraine is finally making the big push. What, what uh, you'll discuss it more with the Duran on Thursday. That's, the, that's their, um, what's the word I'm looking for, wheelhouse. But what, what do you know about that before we get into Europe decommissioning uh, nuclear power plants while they are predicting uh, a dark, cold winter. So yeah, so the uh, Ukraine had basically Russia abandoned certain areas in the heart and around Kharkiv, and Ukraine went in, and that's it. And it's being celebrated as a massive counterattack victory. It isn't, as Colonel McGregor explained. Uh, it's sort of a, a temporal, ephemeral, uh, illusory victory that mostly has marketing value. So that they could hustle more cash out of the West to, to propagate the war a little bit longer. Uh, what Russia announced was two things. One is they are now holding referendums, which I think end Tuesday. <clears throat> if you want 
on the street interviews with people, Patrick Lancaster is doing them uh, and throughout the whole region, uh, explaining the history of the, you know, that inherit, you know, one, one result was expected in the Donbass region, another in the Zaporizhny and uh, Kherson regions that border Crimea that are all Russian occupied. The vote that's taking place is whether they want to join Russia. Russia has said that once the vote, Russia has brought in uh, international observers, but not international observers from the West, international observers from the global South, Asia, Africa, Latin America, to validate the way in which the elections are being conducted. Uh, most the react Ukraine passed a law that said that anybody who even voted in this would be considered a criminal. And if they ever retake those lands, they'll put them in prison for five years. What that tells me is that Ukraine believes an honest vote would produce an overwhelmingly pro-Russian sentiment in those regions. But that action guaranteed Russia's going to win. Russia has now said, as soon as that happens, they will incorporate those regions into Russia and will consider those regions Russian. What that means is any attack on those regions will be seen as an attack on Russia itself. So it will no longer be a special military operation. It will be a full state declaration of war. So the military uh, efforts are going to escalate. And in that respect, Putin gave a speech where he noted two things. One, he gave details that people had rumored was true, uh, but he confirmed at least the Russian version of it which is that uh, the Russians were under the belief that Ukraine was, had agreed to a settlement in uh, Istanbul in March, in early April, and that basically what it would do is it would recognize Crimea and Donbass as Russian or independent, uh, and, and Ukraine would keep the rest, and that would be kind of the end of it. Um, the, uh, however, the West, Boris Johnson and the Biden administration intervened and told Ukraine not to sign any peace deal. This, by the way, was at the same time that Trump was putting out a public statement supporting the peace deal and supporting peace. That it's insane to be involved in this war. It's a dumb war. And uh, so he confirmed that. And so he laid out, look, it's clear that the West and its current uh, approach will just escalate, escalate, and escalate. So we're going to hold these referendums and automatically incorporate these lands within the region using the Balkans precedent as their international legal grounds to do so, supported by the international court, by the way, thanks to the West. Um, and, and then also ordered a partial mobilization. And what a partial mobilization is, is that he called for the reserves, people to be in the reserves to come forward. And anybody who wanted to volunteer would be re receive certain uh, recognition, financial benefits, et cetera. The West started out with a story that this was a mass draft. It's not uh, that it's nowhere near full mobilization. They're talking about 300,000 uh, troops. They could that they could a real mobilization in Russia is 40 million. So it's that's not not full mobilization. It very, very partial. But the West version of this was, as you identify, chaos. It's going to destroy Putin about to fall. John Brennan on TV. Ah, Putin, yeah, maybe just days, maybe weeks. Uh, they're fleeing. They're trying to get across the border in Finland. They're jumping on the planes and escaping as fast as they can. Almost all of which, of course, turned out fake news. I'm sure there are some people that got out of Dodge that thought they might be next. Uh, that, you know, there's always people that aren't eager. But uh, they had such a volunteer response that they got more than the 300,000 in just two days. 
Uh, Russia's millet is taking on its young men is taking on a militaristic culture. What's being celebrated on its social media. I'm not sure there's such a great thing. I'm sure Russians do. I, I'm not so gung ho on this, but uh, imagine, you know, sort of game of duty. It was, you're a hero. You're cool. You're hip. Uh, you're popular. You're a patriot. You're a great person. If you join the military. So think of our U S military ads, the bad, the better ones, not the current woke version um, and put it on 10. And that's what's going viral in Russian social media. So, uh, in fact, there was a mat, there was a there was a protest by the, the organization people most oppose demographically are young urban liberals in Russia. They immediately protested this. Had a big protest in Moscow and Saint Petersburg. The next day was a ten times more massive counter protest in support of what took place. And in fact, a lot of Russians were enraged. This is why Putin allowed the Russian liberals to protest. He knew the reaction would be rage from patriotic Russian types. This is like people who are being, who are at, at questioning 9-11 at the time. If you experience that, you're an unpatriotic terrorist supporter to raise questions about it. That's what's happening in Russia. The, the, Putin has been, the elite has been more restrained than his populace. The, the, the people of Russia have wanted to escalate for a while. Um, and their rage has been building and building and building and building. And the Ukraine taking back a little bit of land provided a nice political pretext to push it all over the edge. So what's coming, and then Putin made in his speech, some people in NATO, some people in the West have been saying uh, stuff like, uh, Putin will never use nuclear weapons. We can threaten our use of nuclear weapons to deter Russia. You've had articles like, why not use uh, nuclear weapons? You've had articles like, limited nuclear warfare isn't all bad. I mean, it's like, I, there, there was one from 10 years ago that said a small nuclear war might be good for the environment, but that was yeah. not in the context of Russia. Exactly. That's, a, that's the kind of insanity that was being regurgitated. So Putin made clear, he said, any attack on Russia using those kind of tools will be responded to fully. And just remember what wind goes this way can go that way, too. And we have more nuclear weapons than any country in the world. And made clear that any attack like any, and he said, I'm not bluffing. So he's making it clear to the people that thought he's bluffing. He will respond with nuclear weapons if nuclear weapons are used against Russians. And uh, and he he will see once the referendum is confirmed, the whole war changes. All of a sudden, then it is totally simply it is a it is a full scale war. It's no longer a special military operation that takes the handcuffs off of Russia's military. You'll see Russia's military start to target things that are uh, that they consider civilian infrastructure. We I've saw some people be very critical. I'm not a. Uh, I'm a critic of people of targeting civilian infrastructure, to be clear. But let's also be clear. America always hits civilian infrastructure. We call it dual-use infrastructure. So our excuse for attacking purely civilian electric plants and water facilities. It's, it's used for the military, Robert. Train, it, 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 no, no, I, 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 that much I remember from the shock and awe. I believe I remember that. Maybe I'm, I hope oh, I'm yeah, not. I mean, anywhere anywhere we go, we just leave rubble. And, and there's military arguments for it. You know, I'm not dismissive of those but i'm saying that uh us being critical of russia now targeting civilian infrastructure when we would have been bombing it from day one is kind of not not exactly the most credible position for us to have but that war is about to escalate in a major way and ukraine i i don't ukraine has very little hope it, it can try to survive the winter uh but i think that'll be it now i'm still of the opinion that they're unlikely to go past the regions they currently occupy and the referendums are in i'm not convinced they're going into Kharkiv and odessa but Scott Ritter is. Uh, McGregor thinks maybe, maybe Kharkiv and Odessa. Uh, I, I never thought they were going into Kiev or Western Ukraine. Just, that never made sense to me. But we're seeing more clear. This appeared to be a Russian plan. The Russia was going to see how this played out. They didn't get a peace deal. 
that this is very Putin. He doesn't use all his tools at once. He escalates and says, okay, now you can settle. Okay, if you don't, I'll escalate a little more. Okay, still can settle. I have it, you know, he, that's the thing. But what he's doing is legally using he he's he's le he's he is a lawyer. Uh he's very legalistic in his approach. In other words, they're only going to escalate to a state of war with Ukraine when it's actually Russian pe Russian people in Russian territory legally being attacked. The, the idea of the referendum, it is pertaining to the territory that in theory was supposed to be negotiated uh as per Zelensky's election platform in 2014. The, the, this was oh, 2018, yeah. 2018, sorry. Um I just want I want to pull up in the um, Maidan coup and the whole precedent is the one we in the West set and Russians have intimate familiarity with it because it was what was used to break up the Soviet Union and then used to break up Yugoslavia. The most glaring example of it currently is Kosovo. So this is do people in a place have the right to just declare their independence from a the governance that they are uh, that they are currently part of the territory of? The Russian position back at the time of the Soviet Union and New Yugoslavia was no. The West position was yes. Self, I mean, this goes all back to Woodrow Wilson, right, of self-determination, so on and so forth. The, the incipient building of nationalism that unleashed a lot of these uh, tendencies, et cetera, uh, to shift identity from local kinsmen to broader country, uh, you name it. And various political controversies rage over it. But the West took the position that Croatia could just break off and declare itself a country, uh, that you know Slovenia could do so, that the, uh, the Czech and the Slovakia, Slovakia could do so, Bosnia, uh, Herzegovina could do so. Uh, uh, all of those regions could break. Kosovo ultimately could break off. And that we would recognize them, and we even planted military facilities. And when Kosovo broke off, we militarily intervened to bomb the heck out of Serbia until, and then put a NATO base in Kosovo. So what Putin is doing is, well, it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander. I'm going to take what you did in Yugoslavia and what you did to the ex-Soviet Union, and I'm going to return the favor. I'm going to have these people say whether they want to be part of Russia. They did, now part of Russia, just like you guys did before. But, um, and that's why we don't have much from and an international court approved that as the Kosovo. So that that there is no legal grounds to challenge he did under our own established precedents in the West. Oh, no, I, I brought up uh, Justin Trudeau's tweet on this where he says, Canada denounces Russia's planned referendums in occupied regions of Ukraine. We will never recognize them. This is a blatant violation of international law. It is a further escalation of war and it is unacceptable. And this is coming from the, the, the man. I mean, this is coming from a, a country in which we held a referendum twice uh, to, to discuss, contemplate the separation of a province to form its own nation where it would have been recognized had it, had it occurred, I believe. Um, and setting aside Justin Trudeau's violations of international law, which I, I, I posted to tweet, not, another discussion. So all of this goes on, Robert. Uh, some people are hypothesizing that, you know, Ukraine might have needed a, a, a W in order to agree to a, a negotiated resolution of the dispute. Others think Russia's losing it. This is the West's financing of the war paying off. Setting all that aside, we'll see how it pans out. In the meantime, and this was the, se the segue that went into a tangent, uh, Europe... Uh, energy prices, cold winter in Europe, and why? They, they, they are, is it Belgium? Which country is decommissioning a nuclear power plant at the yeah, same well, time? Uh, I mean, the, the, many of the countries are, uh, and they, this is all their self-imposed sanctions, cutting off Nord Stream 2, 
taking out like they're they're and proposing things like don't take a shower but once a week try to go and chop down your your local tree to put firewood in the chimneys that don't exist because we forced you to shut them down 10 years over the last 10 years for green policy it's a combination of uh anti-russia hysteria that has led to suicidal economic policies that may shut down large parts of european manufacturing and industry uh and and then and that's just the economic side fueling uh, extraordinary inflation that is squeezing everybody and it's toppled multiple governments. The Italian government today is likely to switch to a right-leaning Euroskeptical government because of this. Uh, and, and, and then on top of it, you know, I mean, they're talking about people like getting, giving out free blankets so that people can deal with a lack of heat, you know, or like, you know, that, that they're not going to have. So I guess be EU sponsored blankets everywhere. The, uh, uh, and then, and, and then green policy. So the green policy that's been very popular in continental Europe has made uh, traditional methods of, of energy expensive. And it turns out, you know, solar only goes so far. Uh, by the way, people should look up where solar energy and the various electric energy sources, those minerals come from. They come overwhelmingly from China. Uh, there's a reason why China, big, big dedicated to green efforts. Uh, they have the most coal play places of any place and have the massive coal pollution of any country anywhere. But uh, and the air so bad they had to spend years trying to purge it so that the Olympics, everybody didn't die trying to run around the track. But they, they, they're they so deeply committed to uh, – to uh, yeah, they're deeply committed to them dominating the electric industry because that's where all the natural resources that go into it come from. But, but that's where that political reality – and we'll continue to see that reality. Now, I think the Italian change of government won't mean much legally. The EU uh, uh, Ursula van der crazy. Uh, as uh, as Alex calls it from the Duran, calls her uh, threatened, overtly threatened the Italian public and said if they vote for uh, a government that's anti-EU, that the EU will punish them the way they took punished Hungary and Poland. Well, hold on. Let me stop you there for one second. It's another it was a, a number of questions in the chat on Rumble predictions for Italy. You're predicting the, the right, the right, the right, uh, right, the right groups will win, but they will once again not deliver because some of the key people that are going to prevail aren't really committed to any uh, actual policies that would uh, undermine the EU uh, outside of immigration. The one area where there will be conflict will be immigration. But otherwise, they, you know, they already flipped sides on the Russian war issue. They they did things to make sure that the establishment and the EU establishment didn't derail their electoral efforts. They didn't need to. They're going to be elected by people who want to re-examine the entire EU relationship, but they have no interest in doing so because they wanted to they cared more about winning than doing something once they won. So, yes, they will win, but it won't have much probable consequence okay. beyond immigration. It will have an impact on immigration. Immigration, I'm well, that's a good transition. You know, just as, I mean, immigration continues to rock Europe and, and uh, take out the neoliberal majority. A combination of the Russian sanctions and green policies are backfiring. Immigration is another part of the globalist agenda that is not popular, um, reflected in the Italian elections about to happen. But that doesn't stop people, you know, from continuing to try to fight it here in the states. After so, uh, Governor DeSantis, uh, anything about that? Well, no, we'll, we'll I'll give the brief rundown of the facts. I mean, we've been talking about it. The political stunt: DeSantis is accused of using uh, illegal aliens, the legal term, as political pawns. Uh, they came through in Texas. They were flown, put up in a hotel somewhere between Texas and Florida. Uh, they arrived in Florida. We don't yet know the exact context, however. And then they were flown from Florida to Martha's Vineyard uh, with a $12 million fund that was passed in the in the budget by 
the state of Florida, uh, shipped to, sh- flown to Martha's Vineyard, outrage, political pawns, using people, inhumane, yada, yada. Within 44 hours, these political pawns are flown off of the pristine 87% white, 90% Democrat, affluent Martha's Vineyard, flown off, put into a government military facility in Cape Cod. Some might argue that's detention, but they did it voluntarily, according to the media, even though there were 125 armed National Guard for 50 migrants, 48 migrants. They're out within two days. Martha's Vineyard, in the meantime, sets up a GoFundMe to you know, help, help, help deal with this humanitarian crisis. Uh, they thank the migrants for enriching their lives for 44 hours before they were handed a hot meal and then booted from the island. Okay, Media outrage. And then they later admitted that the money actually wouldn't go to the money. Oh, yeah. And uh, sorry, <laughs> kicker in the tooth. Yeah. They admitted that uh, any donations now, it'll, it'll go somewhere. Just, I mean, it, it can't go to what never you know, was needed in the first place. Okay. Now it seems that some very activist lawyers, because these, the, the migrants were brought to a military base in Cape Cod, provided lawyers faster than the January 6th defendants were provided lawyers. And now it seems to be clear why. They have fought, there's a petition for a class action suit. I don't know why class action is the proper um, procedural vehicle, um, unless it's just the same thing as a joinder of actions in this in this circumstance. Uh, a bunch of them are suing DeSantis. I don't know, thirteen counts in intentional infliction of emotional distress, fraud, Mr. Whatever. The basis of the lawsuit is that they were told they were given a voucher for McDonald's meals. They were put up in a hotel. They were told. They're going to be flown somewhere where they're going to have accommodations, jobs, and you know whatever else they need in this new country, uh, which, as far as I understand, is what the border towns would have had to do in in any event or be expected to do. They're being told the, the lawsuit is on the basis that they were lied to, they were exploited, uh, they were deceived into where they were going and why they were going there, and now they're suing for intentional infliction of emotional distress and and thirteen other causes of action. Robert, some people on the interwebs are asking, how do these um, illegal aliens, legal term, have any rights under the Constitution whatsoever? Can you just feel that one right off the bat? Once they're located within the United States, then any action taken, they're a person for the purposes of a suit. So they are protected under the civil rights laws as much as anybody once they're here. Before they're here, different dynamic. But once they're here, those rights uh, uh, protect them. And so the, the only the only rights that they don't that they would not have would be ones that are specifically reserved for American citizens under the Constitution, vote. Right, which are very very few okay. uh, are reserved just to citizens. And so the uh, it's extraordinary uh, twofold. One is that you know the sanctuary cities are turning out not to be sanctuary at all. <laughs> the, uh, the I mean here you have this wealthy liberal area that said declared itself a sanctuary city, said it would protect illegals located within their jurisdiction would provide help to them. And as soon as they show up within 48 hours, they're out of there uh, guarded by the national guard uh, purportedly voluntarily. So the, the, the theory of the suit is quite extraordinary. They brought the class action in the district of Massachusetts because the only kind of liberal federal courthouse that might entertain, in my view, a nonsense suit. I know no comparable suit ever being successful. So they're claiming false arrest. Well, let's see what they got. Free food, free hotels, free air, free airfare. Uh, they get placed in a place that says it will provide resources and aid and sanctuary them. And that somehow is being arrested? 
being imprisoned, being intentionally inflicted with emotional distress. Last but not least, the problem they don't talk about in the suit, they all signed releases. They all signed complete releases that they were doing this voluntarily. They knew of the risk and they wouldn't sue anyone. So I don't I think the releases are a complete bar to the claim. The case shouldn't be in Massachusetts. It should be uh, transferred to Florida where there's less nutty judges than there are in Massachusetts. But Robert, they're going to. Well, first of all, if I'm arguing, let me just take this down. I'll I'll bring it back up so we can see the causes of action in a second. But Robert, of the releases, I mean, I'm going to say that the release, they're going to argue vitiated consent. Clearly, they might even argue that it wasn't presented in the language they understood. I, yeah, they I can, gave it to him in both English and Spanish, and they signed it both. I, I, I would have less of a problem thinking they can get out of the releases, especially given the nature of the suit. But they have to I, allege not traditionally, and that was we enforce these releases across the board. So the, uh, uh, I mean, the, the, the they can try to argue fraud in the inducement of the release, but this is argued all the time, and courts reject it all the time. They say, look, you signed something that said, no matter what, I won't sue you. If you give me this ticket, no matter what, I won't sue you. Uh, you can't say, golly, gee, I really thought A, B, C, or D, because then the releases become useless and they become contractually unenforceable. You can always say, I thought something different. Uh, so I don't, it, by traditional release law in America, they shouldn't get out of these releases. Uh, but the other problem is th- this does not meet the definition of false arrest, false imprisonment, uh, of uh, substantive due process, of misapplication of federal funds. It's simply uh, of, of, of any federal tort of any federal civil rights action or of the state torts, frankly. It's not clear to me they can even sue these individuals under the tort theories. I think uh, various immunities apply uh, that would preclude and prohibit that. So I think those claims are dismissed right out of the gate or should be. Uh, and then the rest of the claims, they can't find an analogous case. So, the, I mean, tons of people uh, end up in actual jail because a cop lied to them. None of them get to sue for false arrest. None of them get to sue for false imprisonment. I mean, there's never been an actionable recognized claim ever. The, the, the ultimate irony in all of it is that's when there's an actual false arrest and an actual imprisonment. They actually went from Martha's Vineyard to a military detention center. And I suspect a great many yeah, of them if, would have. If, if DeSantis had done what Massachusetts did, they'd have a stronger claim. But because the arrest is you do not feel free to leave. They admit they got on the planes voluntarily. They admit that. They don't dispute that. They instead say they thought they were going to New York or Boston rather than uh, Martha's Martha Vineyard Vineyard. in particular. And and that somehow that converted them into being arrested because they were on a plane. I'm sorry that that, that's not that's not the police forcing you. They, They had to allege that the police forced them on the plane. Never happened. They admit it didn't happen. They don't have a false arrest claim. They don't have a false imprisonment claim. It, they, they claim it's so shocking to the conscience that it's a substance of due process violation. I've had cases where people died in state custody and court said that wasn't a substance of due process violation. No way this is a substance of due process violation. Um, they would just have to make up law out of whole cloth. The state tort claims don't exist because of immunity issues. Uh, so all you're left with is the supremacy clause and the completely bogus discrimination claims. They don't even allege facts that these people were targeted because they were Venezuelan, because they were Latino. They don't even allege the facts. They just stick those claims in. This is racist. This is racist. You got to actually allege racism. Robert, but you know know what's amazing is that the the sucking and blowing of of politics 
in certain circumstances, Venezuelans, and I've had this discussion, are not a race because they have European descent, they have mestizos. Uh, in, certain, in certain contexts, Venezuelan, they're Caucasian, according to some. Uh, in other contexts, it's racism. I, but and DeSantis, I, by the way, gets strong support from the Venezuelan community in Florida. So uh, this wasn't targeting Venezuelan. For the, the the backstory here is Venezuela is release is is pulling another uh, the the another Muriel boat lift like Castro did. For those that don't know, what Castro did to screw with the U.S. was he found all the people he took all the people in his asylums and all the people that were the worst people in his prisons, and he said, hey. Want a free boat to America? There you go. Watch old Jimmy Carter twist. Because our policy was we welcome any Cubans. And that's, of course, the movie Scarface is partially about that. The Venezuelans decided to return the favor. So they are apparently uh, releasing some of their hardest core criminals and sending them up to America. It's not clear whether this group is part of that or not. But that's the backstory as to why Venezuelans have otherwise been pretty welcoming in Florida, uh, not uh, that may have been caught in the middle of all this, but the uh, the problem is one credibility issue, and it was them claiming they told me something that I signed something different. As a general rule, can't get there. But even if they did, no grounds that that's a federal civil rights violation, and there's no evidence of racial or national origin discrimination. So what they're left with is a supremacy clause claim, which is the federal government has exclusive prerogative over our external borders for immigration purposes. But this was not done as deportation. So this isn't immigration. So there is no supremacy clause claim. This is a frivolous lawsuit that totally depends on a politically prejudiced court to allow it to go forward for any minute of time at all. Uh, let me just bring up the causes of action. Oh, son of a beasting. Hold on. Uh, what I love also, by the way, in the complaint, it actually alleges that they were flown on a charter plane at $12,800 per ticket. I mean, they're trying to score the political yeah. points. Their last while claim arguing- is misappropriation of federal funds. They don't have standing to bring that claim. Mm-hmm. I'm not a fan of the standing doctrine, but if it's going to be consistently enforced, they sure as heck don't have grounds to sue. Listen to this. The, the, the first cause of action, there's 12, so bear with us. Violation of 4th and 14th Amendment, illegal seizure, false arrest pursuant to 42 U.S.C. 1983, civil rights devilment. Okay. Yeah, didn't happen. Violation uh, 14th Amendment, substantive due process. Yeah, Again, this wasn't shocking to the conscience. Didn't happen. Dismiss. Violation of 14th Amendment, equal protection pursuant to 42 U.S.C. 1983. There was no racial discrimination here. Bogus, not even alleged. Dismiss. Uh, against, uh, against defendants DeSantis. What was it? Violation 42 U.S.C. Oh, Transport, what is this fourth cause of action? Violation of 42 USC. I have to pull that up. I don't know what that is. Uh, it's a specific statute that prohibits racial discrimination. Didn't happen. Don't even allege it. Motion right, to dismiss. Go. Okay. Uh, let's keep going. Violation of the supremacy clause. You dealt with that one, Robert. Yep. Uh, it's Procedural due process, 42 USC against all defendants. Dismissed. Oh, there, was for- no, there was no state action here that involved their a substantive property or liberty interest. They were never arrested, period. And civil rights, I guess conspiracy then goes out the window as well if that doesn't exist in the first place. Yeah, conspiracy is not a separate tort. This is just lazy lefties writing nonsense. (laughs) American Rescue Plan Act of 2021 Coronavirus State Fiscal Recovery. This is their claim that the federal funding that was used for this funding in part uh, is uh, was misapplied. That's not their right. They, they, They don't. And it would be the most unique place. Hey, I got money that didn't belong to me. Yeah, you know, it's a it's a it's a claim they don't have legal grounds to sue on. Dismiss. All right, false arrest, fraud, a bunch Robert. of torts don't apply. Immunity, 
Intentional infliction of emotional distress. Robert Smith, dismiss, dismiss, dismiss. dismiss. <laughs> why, um, why a class action as, as a vehicle and not a joinder of actions or just individual plaintiffs? There's only 48 of them. Oh, uh, I mean, the uh, oh, if it's you, you can, yeah, it's kind of bogus to call it a class action. They're trying to tag in other people that aren't even part of their case in this case. So that that's what they're trying to do. Uh, it's really a joined action of 48 plaintiffs. Okay, that's uh, and that's assuming all 48 are. And I'm sure. Ones. What promises have they made? Do the immigrate? Do the uh, do the illegal aliens get to sue the lawyers if the lawyers made false promises to them about what would happen with this lawsuit? What I love in the lawsuit, Robert, it says. Uh, they were promised jobs, accommodation, and and, and other uh, necessities. I mean, it, what they're basically saying is that's the promise everybody makes to begin with, except that promise only applies to border states or border towns, not to Mass, not to not to Martha's Vineyard. They they well, didn't I, have. I the mean, it's, it, it's. I mean, they're not supposed to. Le- they're not legally entitled to any of it. I mean, to begin with, um, and uh, and it's also what these communities originally said, sanctuary communities said. But again, it's not actionable grounds. If, uh, you know, to sue, it just isn't. So well, they're going to have to make it up. They're relying on the kind of court that presided over the Project Veritas. I was, you, you beat me to it. And I'm gonna, we're going to get to it now. Project Veritas, I won't bring up the article, but this is the case where they had uh, a mole apply to get an internship within the... Uh, uh, the corrupt election fornication machine of the Democratic Party. And the, the person got in secretly recorded conversations with very politically connected individuals, Bob Creamer in particular, uh, got some very compromising recordings. Project Veritas puts out a highly edited expose. And by definition, by the way, I'll, I'll, conce- I'll con- what's the word? What is the word when you agree to something? I'll concede. It was highly edited because when you have hundreds of hours of footage and you have to put it into something smaller, it's highly edited by definition, but not necessarily deceptively edited, which is yeah, how to, for typically- deceptive editing. Go to the plaintiffs in the plaintiffs lawyers in the Sandy Alex Jones trial. We'll That's get what there. Uh, deceptive editing looks like we'll get there. But right now, when they say they say highly edited. And they intend to use it interchangeably with deceptively edited because that's how they, they use the terms interchangeably. Uh, so th- this organization, I forget the name, they sue Project Veritas, the democracy, uh, I forget the name. They sue Project Veritas um, for fraud and for, what was the other basis, what was the other cause of action? Preposterous. Um, uh, fraudulent misrepresentations uh, to obtain secret recordings, deceptive editing and damages. And they win. Now, because they're in the District of Columbia. They, they want a jury verdict, which said that when you go undercover, if you lie to the object of your undercover reporting, that's fraud and that's deceptive and that can lead to damages. Uh, there's, there's a part of me that can understand a part of this lawsuit. If you apply for a job and you know the idea, it's like, well, I'm an undercover reporter. You're lying. You're just, you are committing some form of fraud, but I, I don't know what statute they would specifically rely on to say it's, it's some form of civil fraud, but you are, you are committing fraud. But how is it fraud? In other words, uh, did, did they give you, are you suing for the money you gave them? Because that's what fraud is. Fraud isn't, uh, I, Hey, I got access to your secrets because, but now it'd be an invasion of privacy claim, but they don't have that claim. So the, uh, there's, I mean, the fraud would be, I gave you a job. I wouldn't have given it to you. Otherwise the damages then would be measurable by 
how much money you're out of pocket that you wouldn't have been and you hired somebody else. Well, or, or that's or not the, what they're suing for. Or the damages that result from the person not doing the job the way they undertook to, to do the job. Now, I'm playing a... a to my uh, knowledge, I've never heard of such a suit being unauthorized. And, and, but I, and I'm, just, I'm playing devil's advocate because something, I, I mean, literally, something rings a bit. If I'm employing people, they say, yeah, I'm going to do a good job. I get into your business and I, I document your wrongdoing, which was my intention all along cause you damages. I lied to get my foot in the door. You paid me for me not to do my job properly. And also I do the job in a way that costs you money. I, I would go out of my way to find a cause of action there. It's the fact that this is within the context of what is undercover expose journalism and people doing their homework and due diligence on the people they hire when you're in certain organizations, political in nature, newsworthy in nature, and involved in nature. It's not like going into a mom and pop shop Saying I'm going to do, I'm going to, I'm going to like as an undercover IRS agent saying, hire me. I'm going to do, I'll, I'll do your bookkeeping, but I'm only there to find crimes. Um, or which is, not- uh, I mean, all undercover policing. I mean, by this theory, undercover policing is all illegal. Well, ex- except they'll argue undercover policing gets court authorization, and so you know, it, I mean, there's, there's usually no court authorization in advance. Say, right. say what you just said again, Robert. Uh, there's no court o- authorization in advance at all. I mean, the the courts just. Uh, don't consider this uh, actionable for a range of reasons. And, and again, to my experience, it's not actionable. Uh, so the the it's not and it's not just because that it's either undercover police or undercover reporting that that rate that cha- that raises the stakes. But generally speaking, I mean, like it was if you if you hire someone, you can impose a non disclosure agreement on them. And then you sue them for the for the damages you suffer from a non-disclosure agreement. If you hire someone and you don't require a non-disclosure agreement, you're a problem. But the, but then but the problem with the the NDAs is that people have used those to suppress whistleblowers, and then and then you and I and and I think right-minded people in the actual sense, not the political sense, say you can't use an NDA to uh, prohibit whistleblowing. I mean that that's right. The, the, right. I mean that we've always carved out that exception. I mean this is an attempt to get around all those. That's what this is. I mean, it, it, it's a claim that never should have gone forward. It, it's similar to the some of the craziness in the Alex Jones trial, where he's being sued for consumer fraud. It's like what? So I mean, there's just there's no grounds for that. So the it's uh, that's the problem. They're, they're attempting to make it illegal for you to expose their bad acts. That's the end of this. And we have laws that say you know you can't do that. And yet that's what happened. And then you have a DC jury pool that's such a joke that that they are a political rubber stamp for the right cause. And what that, you know, again, it reinforces the real remedy here, aside from courts clarifying both protected actions of speech and press uh, and not allowing these torts to get around limitations we've imposed on them in comparable and analogous context and factually identical context. Uh, But we got to get rid of the District of Columbia as an independent federal jurisdiction. It must end. This is a this is an embarrassment. Every it's being politically weaponized for politicized purposes in civil and criminal cases. The swamp should not get to judge the swamp. The Blake Masters, J.D. Vance, other people should be start. Uh, Joe Kent, others, Thomas Massey should say it's time to actually drain the swamp. And the first way to do so is to end the District of Columbia as its own jurisdiction, period. End of story. Then most of these things don't happen. Robert, I mean, someone in the chat in Rumble, not a Rumble rant, just a comment, says, uh, how did they lie to get their job? Uh, I, I can't purport to know the details of that trial, was not following it. I, 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 know, I know what happened. I just, to me, the idea that everyone conducts a business not knowing 
if someone is coming in to infiltrate, I, I guess you're, you're right. The NDA would resolve a lot of business, yeah, right. unfair business practices. It wouldn't pertain to, you know. It, it, if, if what gets outed is your illegal activity, your problem, not, not, not their problem. That, that's how we, we've, we've, we said the NDA doesn't go that far and for good cause, good reason. So the, uh, and can't for a bunch of public policy reasons. So we limit the contractual enforceable remedies uh, because we don't want to prohibit disclosure of wrongful conduct. You know, I, mean, I, mean, I mean, that's, and they're trying to circumvent it all because people instinctively sound, well, I wouldn't want to be taped by someone I didn't know was taping me for the, in ways that will embarrass me. Well, then you can bring an invasion of privacy claim uh, under certain circumstances. But if you consented to them being there, if it's in a one party state so that only one party has to know about the recording, that's on you. And if you want to protect your privacy in that context, then there's an NDA. If what they're if what they're saying has no public policy, invasion of privacy torts have these limits on it. If if what they're saying is no public benefit, then you can sue. But it's it's when it does have a public benefit, you're limited. They're 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 skirting all of these legal yeah. provisions. It, it's it's um. Hold on, what was I just about? To and say? the jury pulls are a joke. Oh, you know, a it, six figure verdict for what? Well, for being you're having your crimes exposed. Well, now we're in D.C. You get money if you riot. You get money uh, if you're if you're on the right side politically. You get money if you loot. You get money if you burn. You get money if uh, now you get money if your crimes get exposed. Well, I mean, that, that's, that, that's how the D.C. works now. What, what was what was particularly uh, you know concrete evidence of the bias of the, of the jury is that. They refer to it as deceptive, highly edited videos. What 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 Project Veritas put out was factually correct. I, and now I don't know what evidence was adduced during the trial, whether or not uh, you know the, the, the they showed whether or not the plaintiffs showed that. Oh yeah, it was edited in such a way to give it a meaning that it did not have in real time. I doubt that. In fact, I'm I'm certain it wasn't. Those videos were not uh, deceptive. They were edited because they have to be. But the jury and came to the conclusion that embarrassing information being released and put into a short, uh, digestible format is deceptive. I mean, that's where they're off the deep end, and they had to find uh, they had to find the solution that they wanted to come to, which was, oh, this is embarrassing, and we need to punish them for it. So, how do we get there? Yeah, fraud. If you're fraud. a Democrat and your crimes get exposed, you get to sue the other person for exposing your crimes and the government will investigate your opponent, the person who exposed your crimes and try to put you in prison. That's the new America legal system under the Biden administration. Well, uh, that's a good segue. That, that is a good segue into Alex Jones, Robert. I mean, uh, I, I played the two minute highlight from uh, one of the highlights from Alex Jones's uh, testimony in chief from uh, attorney Maddie. I, I explained it. We discussed it a bit in the beginning with the clarification. Thanks to whomever it was. It was the examination in chief and not the cross examination from attorney Maddie. Robert, it, it, it's it, um, tell me, I mean, Maddie's conduct as an attorney, it's beyond unprofessional. I don't, I don't care how much he hates Alex Jones. It was, it was over the top in all respects. And it turned into an absolute gong show of an exam of a, examination but robert jones is sitting there having to remind the judge that he can't talk about his bankruptcy that he can't talk about uh any slew of other things for those who don't know why legally what is the the rationale as to why jones cannot talk about the bankruptcy of free speech systems yeah because this is a show trial where he was he was supposed to be scripted as the villain and he refused to play along 
Uh, but the, the judge, like people have asked, why is uh, the defense not talking about the fact that Alex Jones didn't make money off Infowars, that he had, that the money came from I'll other send- sources? Oh, no, you mean off, send, off the Sandy Hook coverage or right, off InfoWars? Right. Okay. Neither InfoWars nor Alex Jones made any money off of saying Sandy Hook didn't happen. Just that didn't happen. That's well, what the hope No, but I don't know. They, they could, you could never make that argument because they might make money just by virtue of, of – of, you mean the click-through to the product placement and the ads. They're, yeah, they're going to have made money. They had no evidence of that because it doesn't exist. Because here's the problem. Alex Jones almost never uh, denied Sandy Hook was never really part of the Sandy Hook denier movement. He answered two callers' questions. Wasn't tied to any advertising at, at, of all at any time. There was no tie to it. Well, they're, no, they're, they're, they're putting up just the standard evidence of running a business online the way Oh, Alex sure, but Joe, wait, it's not related to Sandy Hook. That, that's their problem. So why is he not allowed to explain that? that? That none of this has anything to do with Sandy Hook. His financial success, nothing to do with Sandy Hook. Uh, oh, yeah. His... Uh, uh, the main evidence of which is that two things over 99% of everything in is published and broadcast said Sandy Hook happened. Right. Number two, uh, Sandy Hook coverage was less than 1% of all coverage during this time frame. Those are critical facts that tell you, did he make money or not? Well, no, it would, it would, it would only prove that 1% of the money he made over that time frame came from. The, well, but it has object- to be a tiny percentage of a tiny percentage. It'd have to be, if you imputed, value to it it'd be one one thousandth of one percent but remember they have all his financial information so they know what days he made those statements and they could try to tie it in why haven't they well they're they're trying to to. review it because i have he didn't make money sandy hook was a net loser for him challenging sandy hook cost him money cost him support well but but robert i'll I'll, I'll just even i'll skip that debate because some people will say well look he 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 covered it he ran ads that day. He got ad revenue. He was, you know, using his numbers, whatever. But again, they, the plaintiffs have that. No, so why well, haven't okay. they talked but, about it one time? But my, my question. I, I can I, tell I, you why. Because you look at the actual details, they didn't make money connected to it. They couldn't show any connection at all to him making money to it. So uh, the so that that's a core problem with their whole theory of the case. Not only did he not originate it, didn't instigate it, wasn't the uh, never sent people to people's homes, uh, never uh, said anybody's name, but to one person once, and that was in a different context. And so all of it, they don't have any of their theory, but also he didn't make money off of it. Yet you've heard tons of evidence on how he supposedly made hundreds of millions of dollars off Sandy Hook. So why is the facts not coming out? Because the judge said he cannot tell the jury how little he covered Sandy Hook. He cannot tell the jury how he didn't make money off Sandy Hook. He cannot tell the jury how it cost him more than it helped him. He cannot tell the jury how 99% of his InfoWars coverage said Handy Hook happened because oh, they have to build a lie for the jury to buy in order to write a big check for things that don't even relate to compensatory damages. But Robert, have I not? I haven't misunderstood that the, the legal reason for which Jones is now prohibited under contempt of court, and she's been very, very keen to remind everybody of this, about the bankruptcy, is that if he tells the jury that Infowars or Free Speech Systems or he is bankrupt, that might impact the quantum they would be inclined to award at this stage of the proceedings? If the problem is nothing about Jones's finances is relevant to the compensatory damage. That's None a, of it is. That, None no, that, of it is. That's, it's, it's, they're, they're allowed to present all the evidence that suggests he's rich and famous off of Sandy Hook. He's not allowed to explain 
how he's in bankruptcy and didn't make money off Sandy Hook and hardly ever covered it. And 99% of the coverage that Sandy Hook happened. Well, no, why? No, no, no. Because the truth would lead to a low verdict. That's why. This well, big if, this is a fake case about supposedly fake news. The case is a fake case because you have a corrupt judge and a rogue ambulance chaser plaintiff's lawyer trying to tell a lie to the world with the help of libelers like Elizabeth Williamson, who is the real person who has grifted and made money off of Sandy Hook. You know who the biggest money makers are off of Sandy Hook? The media. The media knows every time they glamorize a mass shooter that it increases the probability of another mass shooting. And the media wants it to happen because they line their pockets with it. And the Democratic politicians in Connecticut aligned with this corrupt court system and, and lawyer uh, also make political gain off of it because it's their excuse to take away everybody's guns. There is an incentive by the media and the Democratic politicians and why they're weaponizing this case in part and, uh, to encourage another mass shooting to happen. They want it because they get rich off of it. They want it because they get political power off of it. That's the reality they don't want anybody talking about because Alex Jones was the one talking about. It. Oh, the, the the studies that they've shown to that they've you know demonstrated about copycat people getting motivated by the glamour that the media gives is undeniable. People just need to look it up. But um, and the but media Robert, knows this because the media's even talked about it, and then they yeah, do it again. No, they they, again, they talk about again, how they shouldn't again. do it. Don't mention the guy's name, and then and then they do it, and they spend weeks covering the the perpetrator and not other issues. But Robert, the bankruptcy issues, the only one, I, I just don't understand it because the rationale is what you just explained. The judge well, says- Because it counters, oh, I mean, it, none of it is relevant. His finances are not relevant. No, no, hold on, stop, stop, stop. I understand that. But if they, if the jury were to know that they're in bankruptcy protection now, the, the reason for which the judge ostensibly is saying, you can't tell that because it'll, it'll influence the jury to give a lowball amount because they're in bankruptcy. If I'm- it, I would say, argue the exact opposite, that if they know the company's in bankrupt, they'll give a massive verdict, you know, because no harm, no foul. They have no money. So what's the difference? Yeah, um, you, you don't know what its impact would be on the jury, but mostly it's to be able to for them to tell a lie to the jury to write a big check when none of it is relevant to the trial at all. No, so I, I understand the rationale. They hear bankruptcy. They hear punishment. They hear suffering. They hear they, they don't see super rich guy getting powerful off of Sandy Hook. It completely negates the plaintiff's narrative. That's why it's not being allowed. Not because there's a good legal grounds to let one in and not let the other in. Yeah, no, and that much I understood. I'm, I'm someone in the chat that I'm, I'm not playing devil's advocate. First of all, got to raise the arguments that other people would raise. Uh, the, the other thing that I understand in terms of why he's precluded from discussing finances is the reason that Robert, the, the unstated reason is that it would then get into a discussion about where he made the money, how he made it, and why his channel grew. Uh, just so everybody appreciates. Because, I mean, if you watch that examination, the, he, the the plaintiff's lawyer was falsely trying to imply that all of his money and success comes from that he's one currently very successful, and secondly, that all of it comes from Sandy Hook. Both of which are lies. They're lies by the lawyer. The court wants that this corrupt court wants the jury to believe are true, and that's why. And not only that, the judge actually ordered that Alex Jones couldn't even give meaningful answers. Said you have to say yes or no. You, you can only say that, yes or no. But people have to watch that. That's what I find shocked. Yes, no, I don't know. That's not how answers work when you're being asked questions uh, of the they nature have like that four subparts to them. These are like Senate. This is one of the worst. If you want to see how not to be a lawyer, watch this political hack, Chris Matty in court. He was so bad at controlling his own. It was so, it, this was not only theater, it was bad theater. 
This was not only a show I, trial, it was an ugly show trial. I, I'll say this. I, I find Maddie's behavior more offensive to the, to the, vic- to the victims of Sandy Hook here than, than uh, Attorney Pattis. I'll just read one rumble rant. It's from uh, Jean Diaz 021 says, I'm sorry, but that plaintiff lawyer in the Jones case is completely detestable. I know the judge is letting him do it, but it's despicable. Yeah, I mean, everybody that thought that I was exaggerating now realized otherwise. Now, credit to Good Logic, who's now covering this trial. Credit to Nick Ricada, who's now covering the trial. Ricada actually, you know, uh, he got so enraged, he had to take down the video later and put up an edited version. <laughs> because anybody watching this is like uh, even uncivil law. People who, some people that are hostile to Jones are saying that they can't justify this judge's behavior. They can't justify this plaintiff's lawyer's behavior. They're seeing an embarrassment. This is a, a group that lives in such a small world. They think like the Soviets did with show trials and like Castro did. They thought that the reason why trials create confidence in the public uh, that some outcome was justice to an individual is because of the appearance of a trial, the illusion of a trial. There's a juror. There's a judge. There's lawyers. There's advocacy. There's testimony. What they don't understand is it's the confidence in the substance of those proceedings that creates confidence in the public. When they see a show trial, not only does it not instill confidence in the outcome, it actually instills doubt in everything that's going on. And it goes beyond that. It instills doubt in the justice system itself. Study anybody who was part of those communities in those show trial worlds, and it led to undermining belief in the justice system of their government, not enhancing it, and diminishing confidence in the outcome. I mean, this is so bad that Elizabeth Williamson for the New York Times loves to grift off to Sandy Hook, loves to make money off of these people's pain. Nobody, I mean, everything they accuse Jones of is who these plaintiff's lawyers are, is who Elizabeth Williamson is, is who the media is. They love it when these parents suffer horribly because they can just go cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching with interview after interview with Big Pharma ad in between, uh, just lining up, what you're filling their pockets. But it's why they can't challenge what the media does. They can't challenge what politicians do. They can't challenge what Big Pharma does. They can't challenge what the mental health industry do. They can't challenge school safety protocols because that doesn't serve their money-making profit. This whole case has been an exposure of confession through projection. What they accuse Alex Jones of is what Elizabeth Williamson is guilty of, is what the New York Times is guilty of, is what CNN is guilty of. And she goes out and makes up a total statement. She says that Norm Pattis decided not to call Alex Jones for re for cross-examination because she, he was so embarrassed at how horrible Alex Jones was on the stand. It was completely made up. It was a complete fabrication. Let let me lie. Let me stop you there so that no one accuses you of of the bias because you represented Alex Jones. And and I don't think you're compromising your assessment, but people are going to say that you're biased. What happened is that Pat, uh, not Pat, Maddie examined Jones. He was getting into so many issues that Jones had been precluded by this judge to get into um, that uh, uh, attorney Pattis basically said, I'm not going to re I'm not going to cross-examine him because I'm going to be so limited in the scope by what he's not allowed to get into, but I think I need to get into to reestablish what had been the door that had been opened by, um, by, by Maddie. I, I, I want to avoid that. I'm going to just call Alex, uh, you know, as, as my witness where I have a little more latitude 
to get to the things that I think need to be gotten to without breaching the court orders as to what he's not allowed to get into. Uh, but it, it really, really, really set like a trap. And the fact that, that M- Maddie was able to ask so many questions that the judge knew he was not allowed to ask, that Jones was not allowed to answer, that he did it anyhow, and then let Jones answer. Was it, am I, am I getting a little too black-pilled? Was he trying to set Jones up for uh, the criminal contempt that the judge was so eagerly awaiting for? I mean, uh, I mean, probably so. I mean, but the anybody who watched that did not come away with thinking Jones fell apart. It was that Maddie fell apart. Jones was very sharp, defended himself fully, made clear, I've apologized to the family, but I'm not apologizing to ambulance chasing plaintiff's lawyers. Uh, made it clear, like he said, you've referred, this is also material that's completely irrelevant. What Jones has said outside the courtroom about a court has never been, I've never heard that ever be relevant to a trial ever in my life. Well, ju- yet, ju- during the trial, it's not like statements he made, you know, contemporaneously with the acts or, or after loss. What relevance does it have to compensatory damages for these plaintiffs? I mean, it, it has none. So the, uh, but the, you know, asked, you know, you refer to the judge as a tyrant. Uh, and he said, yep. And, and Maddie said, uh, you, you, you know, you just refer to anybody you don't like as a tyrant. He goes, nope. Only the people that act like tyrants. The, uh, and, so <laughs> and, he, says, you know, and he says, move to strike. He says, move to strike. Yeah, I, move to I, strike I, is only an answer from his own question. Which he was she, doing all the time. This was an out of control plaintiff's lawyer an out of control court an out of control case. Credit to Nick Ricada and Good Logic and others for covering it. Frankly, LawTube should have been covering it more. You can't all be a bunch of wussies glamming off of celebrity case. God bless you, but you know, <laughs> step up to the plate. And, and, and in fairness to me, Robert uh, Jones came up the day I was on a plane going to New York for the Rumble and coming back on Friday. Um, but I, I, I was watching it. It, it. it was worse than anybody could possibly imagine. Nobody could watch that and say that the the, the plaintiff's attorney conducted himself in a professional, competent manner. It was, it was a disgrace. It was it bad, was, bad theater. Yeah, it, it was a hissy fit for the sake of it because he thinks the hissy fit is is um, will get him virtue virtue points. Well, uh, I mean, it's kind of like the insanity of the uh, the Trump attorney general case in New York uh, at the derangement of the Eleventh Circuit case. But before we get to either, uh, probably good to get to the uh, Amos Miller case. Amos Miller. Okay. So I, I, we've talked about this a couple of times. This is the Amish farmer. And again, people, I'm going to, I'm going to steel man this because there is another side. It's not according to some, just the case of an Amish farmer who's being picked on for selling his local product to locals. Um, the, the, the basis of the suit is that, uh, uh, the basis of the issue is that allegedly this Amish farmer is not, is not employing safe practices for farming uh, he's not properly labeling products. Apparently in 2014, a death was associated with milk that he produced. He's not just a local guy. He's shipping across the country with a network, complex network of distribution. So it's not just a mom and pop's Amish farmer. This is an industry and it needs to be regulated the way the industry is regulated to ensure that people don't die from drinking, you know, poison milk. That's the steel man of the other side. He was yeah, issued. Uh, well, uh, I mean, the, the core of it is, that what's happening, you have a, a, a farmer who, uh, family farm, doesn't sell in retail, uh, sells uh, to a private membership association. So these are people who want their food made in a very particular way. They do not want their food controlled by the U.S. Department of Agriculture. They do not want certain chemicals on their food. They do not want certain additives or preservatives on their food. In fact, so his entire customer base is based on people who do not want 
the U big agriculture's version of food or the U.S. Department of Agriculture's version of food. So that's the background for the case. Further broader context uh, is let's get to the short term issue. Come October 31st, he faces a hearing in which the U.S. government is seeking over $300,000 to start. There won't be the end of it, $300,000, and potentially millions of dollars to the point where they could bankrupt. They want a judgment added to the case where his wife will be added to the judgment without any due process at all. Without as, any a, as a defendant after the fact. Correct. As a defendant after the fact, just added, here's a judgment, it's on you now. Just like that. End of story. They, they want the judgment to be immediately collectible so they can seize the farm, seize all assets that they want immediately. Uh, uh, the, and if he doesn't go along, uh, they want him put in prison. They want him jailed until he does what they want. So you have a, a farmer facing imprisonment, his wife facing an imminent judgment, him facing a huge amount of money, uh, and that could lead to the bankruptcy of the farm, unless he does exactly what his community of faith and what the people buying the food do not want him to do, which is have USDA licensed, marketed, branded, chemical pre preservative added food. So now let's go to the broader legal context of how all this came about. The, uh, in 1906 or thereabout, even before then, there was efforts afoot. Big agriculture wanted to consolidate their power against smaller farmers. That's one part of the equation, beginning in the 1900s. The second was Upton Sinclair wrote a book called The Jungle which purported to expose the Chicago stockyards as producing unsafe food. Sinclair famously joked, I aim to hit their heart, I hit their stomach in instead. Now, the book is a fictional book. It was taken as accurate muckraking. There's controversy to this day how accurate, in fact, was. Regardless, European meat producers used the book to say American meat's unsafe. We have to keep it out of our European markets as a competitive edge. The answer to that was Roosevelt... Uh, passed the Meat Act and the Poultry Act. Now, Congress was concerned that the federal government would take control over the family farm. Congress was concerned that, uh, and it was doubtful whether the Commerce Clause extended that far. Today, the Interstate Commerce Clause has been expanded to where it's a kind of a crock. But the uh, under the original understanding, our federal government would only deal with trade between states, not deal with any intrastate activity. We've eviscerated that under a range of theories, but that's another story for another day. Congress uh, wanted to go be wanted to lock into the law that the U.S. Department of Agriculture would not be regulating family farms, would not be regulating how we make our own feet, meat and our own food, would not be regulating religious communities that use animal sacrifice within as rituals within as a method of religious expression. So they said this this law only applies to food shipped into and through interstate commerce. Now, what is that traditionally understood to be meant? Yeah. The goal was that I have a consumer, I go to my local grocery store, I want assurances that the food meets some method of safety testing. A proxy for that is that it could be USDA marked. And that the mark, it basically, just like the FDA, the USDA was created as a branding agency, a marketing agency, whose power was to inspect those facilities that wanted to distribute across state lines into the retail markets of unknowing consumers to protect the consumer's knowledge of the product. 
It was never supposed to be regulating small farms in America. It was never supposed to regulate voluntary consumer choices in America. It was not what the USDA is trying to become. And by the way, this case started under the under Trump, to, you know, because Trump had no eye on the ball for what his own administration was doing. Bill Barr helped propagate this lunatic case that you have a situation because for the facts, they never showed that uh, that Amos Miller product caused any harm at all. And as a general rule, and, and here's a key fact. How many consumers of Amos Miller are protesting or filed a complaint? Well, and I'll say Zero. one thing. Zero. Zilch. Zunka. Nada. When I'm reading the news from the other side that wants to, you know, wants to depict the Amish farmer as the enemy, they say one death was attributed to his milk in 2014. If that's the unit of measurement, how many deaths are, uh, have been attributed to anything that bears the USDA stamp of approval? I mean, it, no, they never even proved up that tie. And by the way, what does it have to do with his meat and poultry or anything else? What it is, is they're trying to use this case as a means to establish a precedent that the USDA wants to take what was supposed to be interstate labeling control, and they want to govern what you get to put in your own body, your own food and your own body. Here you have people who are saying, I don't want food the way the USDA wants it. They're saying, nope, you can't have it that way. And we'll use our control over interstate labeling of a product that's not even being distributed in regular interstate means uh, going to local grocers or retailers. It's going to people who said, I only want this product this way. They're trying to deny what was supposed to be about increasing consumers informed cho choice is now being used to strip them of that choice. It's and remember the USDA, you know what they consider healthy? Bill Gates, synthetic corn. That's what they consider healthy. Well, it, Bill Gates, biggest farm land, biggest landowner now in America. The uh, his, his fake beef. That's what they consider healthy. Do any study of the Amish, and you will find by almost every health metric, they are healthier than the people that are living off of USDA-approved food. This is about the USDA's attempt to monopolize our food supply, and they targeted an Amish farmer to prove the precedent. And that's why they're going to such extreme lengths. I mean, the, there was even a rule, part of a ruling which said that uh, Amos Miller had to label what he was going to produce for his own family. And say, here's what George is eating. Here's what Lucy's eating. Federal judges are making insane orders that have way past their power. And they're, they're, what it is is the USDA knows they can't do this directly. So they're using judicial process to do so. They bring a case based on something that isn't quite related. And then they expand, expand, expand. And then like we're seeing in the Alex Jones trial, they misuse judicial power and the threat of contempt. So you're getting ridiculous monetary judgments without a jury trial. You're getting orders to put somebody in prison who's committed no crime. That's how insane it's getting. And that's why uh, Amos Miller's case impacts everybody. It's about your right to eat what you want to make the way you made it. And the federal government ain't got no business with it. Well, because it, it is, it's a, the, the distinction that you draw, which is going to a grocery store and buying products, which you, which you assume have gone through some, I don't know, some standard of, of production is one thing. Oh, if, yeah, I, I mean, if I go to the, the wonderful USDA food charts and food products that have done such wonders for our health over the last 30, 40 well, years. And set that aside. But if I go to the ostrich farm in St. Eustache and I get an organic ostrich egg, I know for certain, and that's why I'm there is to get it from this particular farm because they have, they, they have products I want. They do it in the way I want. And now they're going to come in and say, no, you can't sell these ostrich eggs. You can't sell this ostrich meat unless, it, unless we, you know, 
we impose the USD requirements here where the very people going here are going here because they don't want those. And that was an exclusion. So there, there is an exclusion. Now it's just a question of extent and scope. This guy sells interstate, which is what the article that I read highlighted. But it's from people who deliberately seek out this producer because of the way he produces and not by accident getting it on a shelf thinking it went through the USDA, you know, fed antibiotic type meat. Um, and, and the reason they targeted him is in the Amish community, they uh, shun publicity and try to avoid the legal system. So the government knew this would be a very vulnerable target. There wouldn't be a fight back in the court of public opinion in all likelihood. There wouldn't be much of a fight in the court of law. And his, 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 he tried to fire his lawyer multiple times. Uh, the court wouldn't allow him to, has superimposed that lawyer on the case. And this lawyer is out bashing his own client to liberal press. And this is a lawyer, when you dig into his history, has a long record of ethics complaints, has a long record of uh, investigations and suspensions. So here you have a federal court, like a star chamber, forcing a rogue lawyer on someone who doesn't want him, who's behaving in a patently unethical way. It's funny, the article that I, one of the articles that I read also brought up the fact that this, this Amish guy had gone through several lawyers as if to paint him as a difficult client. Uh, Rob, Robert, there's, now, there's very few people that are in this field. There's very few people who understand the broader political context. There's very few people that are, are willing and, and, you know, People uh, in the Amish community don't want public attention, but this case needs to be publicly discussed and exposed. Credit to Tucker Carlson for talking about it because of the consequences. It's about our right to farm the way we want and the food we want, the way we want it. The USDA is trying to strip that away from us, and they're willing to lock up an Amish farmer uh, in order to prove their point and bankrupt them in the process if they can and his wife and his family to prove their point. Uh, now, I think there was a GoFundMe at uh, which they're, if they're using... Um... Yeah, I think they're using GoFundMe, unfortunately. Uh, and they were trying to raise some of the money. They got up to like 30000 uh, I can't share the GoFundMe. You can go find it if you want. But uh, I'll maybe send out a little feeler to see if they start a well, uh, give, send, he, go. He to, does uh, have a new new lawyer. Robert, who might that be? Me. Someone in the chat just says, why doesn't Robert represent them? Robert? Uh, okay, so I guess we'll, we'll I'll, I'll post the links where people can support. But it has to be a give, send, go, people. It can't be GoFundMe as I still call it, go F me. Um, so Robert, the, the next stage is, has it been pushed October, October 31st hearing to try to put him in prison? Put him so in prison we'll, we'll for not paying a fine. done in the interim. I mean, there's, there's been a bunch of crazy things when I read through the docket. Uh, it, it's a case that went AWOL because the government hasn't kept it on track and kept in, and didn't keep the court properly informed about the limits of the, what the court should be doing. And the combination of the two is how we got here. Um, and you got someone who's not familiar with the federal legal system, the legal process, the regulatory process, just trying to do what his, his community of faith has always done, how his family has always farmed and what people want him to produce. And he's just trying to do that the best he can with, uh, you know, rogue USDA agents uh, who shockingly are lying repeatedly throughout the proceeding. We'll be inquiring into that aspect and other aspects. But it's a case that needs to be fought back on in every term as possible to achieve a resolution that protects the right to farm as you see fit and for us to pick food as we see fit. Uh, and it, because the USDA has gotten way too big for its britches that threatens our food and fuel, our food and farming in America. All right. And now I, I was told, shut up. They, 
is this it? Uh, Anki Main for Amos Miller. There's a give, send, go. And it's okay. raised $162,000 on give, send, go. Amos Miller Organic Farm is our century-old Amish farm. Okay, I just shared the link, people. I, I hope it's the right link. Yeah, that sounds like the right link. 160,000. Okay, well, there's the link again, people, if anybody wants it. All right, so Robin, we'll obviously have... Because I write the what we want. Not the government's preferred big ag favored chemicals, which is, by the way, what the whole... It was always a big scam. It was a marketing labeling to prevent Europeans blocking it, but it was mostly so big ag could run out small agriculture. The more you increase the regulatory cost, you provide scale. Uh, you, you basically incentivize scale. So big agriculture gets to dominate. And what it is, is all of us are seeing the crap we've been eating for the past 40 years, thanks to that ridiculous pyramid chart uh, and all the processed food they've been sticking down our throats. You go into a grocery store, there's almost nothing there you can buy that's actually good for you. It's almost all crap on top of crap on top of crap. And so you have ordinary people trying to fight back by, you know, being becoming very self-educated, becoming very self-informed, get what they want. I mean, that's why they hate Alex Jones in the supplement market. It's people trying to get away from big pharma. Uh, the same thing here. People are trying to get away from big ag and they want to be able to eat what they want. That will be healthier for them and their families. And the government's trying to prohibit it because basically the U.S. Department of Agriculture is just the marketing department of big ag. All right. Now I think we're going to have time for Robert. Have we missed it? Uh, we can cover the Trump. Cover the yeah. two Trump cases. So, so, so Trump, I mean, you're going to have to explain how Letitia James has the power to file a civil suit against Trump. Filing a civil suit where they want, on the basis of fraud, uh, that Trump overstated the value of buildings, the value of his property when getting loans from banks. The bank never complained. The bank got repaid. The bank was apparently aware of it, which is where I have the greatest difficulty understanding any potential fraud if the bank knew that it was being over-evaluated for whatever the reason. Um, and Letitia James is suing civilly for, to, 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 to uh, misappropriate the profit made from the sale of properties, not from the interest that ought to have been paid if loans were set out at the proper rates, the profit from the sale of properties. I, I got so many questions, Robert, uh, because I don't understand how this lawsuit has any basis. How can Letitia James file a civil suit and how is this not a totally uh, frivolous claim, for lack of a better word? You know, and maybe good logic will break it down because it's a New York state law issue. It's executive law 63, section 12, which, of course, as always, gives the state way too much power. And what it's intended to do is that if you have a full scale wholesale fraudulent business that's scamming and hurting people on a regular basis, the attorney general can intervene and have the court appoint a receiver uh, divest profits, et cetera. It's meant to protect the, the ordinary consumer in the state from a pathologically fraudulent business that can't be uh, dealt with in any other form. Now, my view is the state should never have this power. Uh, you know, tort law can resolve this problem and plenty. Uh, and now we see with Letitia James, why this is so dangerous. So she got elected on the campaign platform that if they voted for her, she would go after Donald Trump. She should never have been allowed to use her office for these purposes with such a clear, specific retaliatory purpose in violation of the First Amendment. But both the state and federal courts have turned a blind eye to it because it's Donald Trump. She then put everybody connected to Trump under massive, whole scale, wide investigation for looking at everything he'd ever done for over 20 years, every business transaction, every personal filing, every bank filing, every tax filing of he or his family or any business connected to him. 
And all she could come up with is that she disagrees with how Trump rates his brand. That's it. There's no consumer complaint. There's no victim identified at all. No bank is complaining. No real estate deal is complaining. No other government official is complaining. No consumer is complaining. It is the only such case ever brought in the history of America where you have an attempt. And let's talk about what she wants. She wants to take back, wants a monetary judgment that would strip him of all of his money. Wants a receiver appointed that would take over all of his businesses and all of his assets. Would decertify all of his businesses in the state of New York. Would ban him from ever borrowing money from a bank again. Uh, and uh, would uh, prohibit other things. Oh, well, I mean, yeah. Prohibit his pro- wants to own Trump. Prohibit his family from doing business in, in New York in any way, shape, or form. But Robert, it, the bank knew that he was over-evaluating assets, whatever, and still gave I mean, him a loan. Call it, I mean, the but reality no, no, no. is this is a dispute over brand value. Well, but, but you know, but, you're right. Whether they knew, whether they thought it was overvalued or not, none of them ever complained, ever. Well, but that, my question is this. If and by the way, if they thought they would have, if they thought that they got the better of the, he got the better of the deal, uh, there's, you know, they have plenty of remedies. They're the bank. I guarantee you they thought that valuation was uh, sufficient for the purposes of lending him money. But, Banks don't give money to people that they think are making up the information. Well, and, and they got, they got, they made money and got paid back. But my question is this, if it's wrong for Trump to borrow against uh, overvalued assets, if the bank knew it, is it not equally wrong for the bank to lend against overvalued assets? And if they're going after Trump, why shouldn't they be going after the bank with the same remedies against the bank? Well, because going of course after there's Trump no injury. As you point out, there was full repayment of the loan. So, I mean, the problem is that there's, this is a case of no injury, no victim, period. That this was a political witch hunt that wants to take, that is weaponizing every means of state power to strip Trump of his base, of all of his property and, and all of his basic rights. Uh, it's a reminder, James Don't O'Keefe, do uh, get out of New York, get out of New York, get out of California, get out of New York, get out of Chi-Town, get out of these states. These states are politically weaponizing every tool available to go after their political dissidents to where they will strip you of your basic rights, liberties, and property if you stay in those states. Got to get out of them. I'm sure Trump regrets how long he was in New York. And now I, I think there's another level to the escape from New York meme that was uh, making And this is way. the same attorney general, by the way, who could never find anything wrong with the Clinton Foundation. It's, it's, it's preposterous. You read, the, you read the suit, you read what they're asking for, and you understand the facts. It's preposterous. But it, preposterous is, seems to be par for the course. But less preposterous, Robert, the latest in the Trump raid special master. Uh, the, the, uh, the, what's the word now? The, the talking point of the day seems to be put up or shut up for Trump. Uh, MSNBC, CNN, uh, put up or shut up is the new crossing state lines for Trump and his conduct here. Special master was appointed. Uh, the special master is saying, if you guys are alleging that you've declassified documents, show us some documentation to prove it, uh, substantiate the claims. What I don't understand here, Robert, is, first of all, the, um, the judge set out who set out the timeline? Was it the special master or the judge that set out a timeline? Special master, I think. I mean, okay. part of it was by the judge and then the special master did his own order. It's a, but it's be- a pretty pretty tight timeline. But one of the things that they're saying had to do with the, the allegedly classified information, documentation. Trump's team, as far as I understand, is saying, show us what it is and we'll tell you if we declassified it. And the special master is saying, if it's classified, they're not going to show it to you because the fewer people that need to see it, the better 
Am I misunderstanding something here? Or is Trump basically being asked to confirm declassification of documents that they won't give him back, that they took from him, that he says were declassified, that they say were classified? Yeah. I mean, what you saw was this 11th Circuit Court, similar to the special master that Trump himself agreed to uh, and, and recommended. Two of the three judges on this court were Trump appointees. Basically, you see how much our federal judiciary behaves like cowards when it comes to the deep state. That ruling was a horrendous ruling. So the government requested a partial stay of the judge's order, only as to allowing them to look at the classified documents, the documents marked classified. Again, there's been no legal determination that they actually are classified. They were simply marked classified. The documents marked classified, they could use for any criminal investigative purpose which is what the judge said you can't do. You can look at them for national security. You can't look at them for criminal investigative purposes. They said that, uh, they said, you know, basically we have the same people doing both, which tells you how this is a deep state raid, deep state operation all the way across the board. The federal judge was like, oh my God, it says classified. It says classified. We better hide under our desk and make sure nothing happens. That's what a bunch of sad, pitiful, disgraceful wussies, these bad Federalist Society appointed hacks were. They have poured themselves to the deep state. They have abandoned their constitutional obligation and they put the deep state over democracy. They are the disgrace to the American institutions. And one more reason why the Federal Society should never be used as a barometer of appointment again. They actually said national security is so important. Even we as judges shouldn't look at the documents. Imagine that. The deep state gets to stick a label on a document and magically no other part of the government can ever function again. Robert, for anybody who thinks Robert is exaggerating right now, the judge literally said, I don't have the literal quote, verbatim, uh, paraphrasing. If I don't have to see it, the more hands off, the better. If it's it's classified in national security, fewer people seeing it, the better. If I don't need to see it, I'm going to go by your prima facie evidence that it's classified national security, and I don't need to see it in order to render my order or to do my job as the special master. The special master is now doing voluntarily what, let me rephrase, is refusing to do voluntarily, finding a pretext, what the what Judge Cannon authorized him to do, which was review the material, come to a determination. Now this special master, whose credentials we now know, says, I don't need to see it if they say it. And so and, and the Eleventh Circuit said no judge should be looking at this. This has the words <laughs> classified on it. I mean, that's how pitiful they were. They also made a preposterous claim that they said once a document has ever been labeled classified, some bureaucrat stuck the label classified on it, which they abuse all the time for no consequence, then that means nobody can ever have a personal or possessory interest in that document. Which, by the way, is, is going back to that early question, they said just the opposite in the Clinton case. When Clinton decided to stick documents and, and, and tapes that could be labeled classified in a sock drawer, they said nobody had an interest in it but Clinton. Now they turn around and say Trump couldn't even have a personal or possessory interest, even in his own documents that he himself created if somebody stuck the word classified on it. This is, a, a, this is the deep state over democracy. This is making a national security apparatus immune from transparency, immune from democracy, immune from judicial review, weaponizing every legal system available to punish those who expose them and challenge them. It means reform. We need to radically restrict what can be classified in America. We need to radically, it was always a dangerous experiment. This is Julian Assange's whole point. Crimes can't happen unless secrets are kept. 
If you want to end criminal acts of government, you need to undermine the secrecy they use to abuse their power. And But seeing these pitiful, disgraceful, deep state deferential judges completely butcher the law and the Constitution to promote and protect the deep state, to hate deep state, just put the magical words classified on it, and all of democracy will quit functioning now. Go ahead, have at it. Robert, I did a fun run this morning. Not a fun run. It was a fundraiser run for um, Wounded Warriors. And uh, it was a 5K, which I did in sub-22 minutes, 21.57. But I ran into somebody who rec- who watches the channel, and they said Barnes should be the next attorney general. And so I, I don't know what has to change. I'd be in the- by everything. I mean, there's still law enforcement exception for things in terms of FOIA disclosures. But no more classification has been abused all the way through. Only, uh, in, in my view... That should be extremely limited. Who can who can classify it? The president can never have this power to declassify taken away. Uh, but the the ludicrous claim of the court was that once classified, these are always government records that no one can have an interest in and no one can ever look at again. That's a patently ludicrous claim, belied by the facts, belied by the law. But most importantly, it's very anti our constitution. It completely guts our. It, it elevates the bureaucracy above the elected head of that bureaucracy. Um, and it's, uh, it was a dumb ruling. It was a dangerous ruling. Uh, but it's, it's the way the federal courts behave. It's federal courts have for almost a century now, uh, allowed the nat- the deep state to operate and to uh, use judicial power to s to elevate the deep state in control of our government. And they have visited horror after horror upon us. And a lot of it falls at the hands and the feet of a incompetent, corrupt, deferential federal judiciary. You know what? I said that would be we'd let end there, but we cannot end without talking about Lindell. Because speaking of deep state and uh, uh, okay, Lindell, Robert, he's suing the FBI. I mean, for a, a, a variety of legitimate, at least prima facie legitimate violations. But I think that's going to go about as far as I can kick a bowling ball. Um, uphill, not downhill. That's easy. Um, but the question is this: for those who don't know, Lindell coming back from a hunting trip. Pulls into a Hardee's, which I don't know what it is, uh, gets blocked in front and back by FBI, has his phone taken from him, is interrogated for 30 minutes, according to his complaint, and I don't think it's much disputed, has his cell phone, or they, they, they agree to surrender his cell phone, and he's suing for various, I, I believe, civil rights violations and due process violations. Uh, I mean, Robert, what's your take? What can you add in, in terms of, like, you know, not leaving everyone blackpilled tonight? But it seems over the top. It seems egregious. And is it as egregious as everyone thinks it is? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's an attempt to weaponize the legal system and go after anybody raising questions about the election or aligned with Trump or adverse to deep state priorities. And, and uh, partly it's related to the Colorado election issues that are taking place. Tina Peters and others. And so, I mean, it's and so credit to him, like credit to Project Veritas. Uh, for fighting back, uh, for seeking legal re- uh, relief and remedy, for publicly outing this, and credit to Trump for fighting back. Now, I think his lawyers could have uh, better, more robustly presented certain arguments, but when you have ex-federal prosecutors, they don't tend to do that, frankly. So I think it's a weakness. I think Lindell made a smart choice uh, in Alan Dershowitz to be his uh, counsel in these proceedings. And I think, you know, I think that's a, a good move. And because, you know, when some people say oh, it's a waste of time with our corrupt, our federal courts have been or incompetent or cowardice, they have frequently exposed. For all of those cases, there's the white pill case of the week, which is the great uh, federal judge in the Northern District of Louisiana, Monroe Division, uh, Terry Doty, who's made many good rulings in this context, 
overturn the Head Start mandate. And for people that don't know how pernicious that mandate was and joined, I think about half the country, half the states in the country joined the case. So the injunctions in all of those states. This Head Start mandate, first of all, it was predicated on uh, the power to pick which buildings uh, Head Start facilities are in. That was the power they said, well, from that, we can dictate everybody's medical policies. So the judge was like, "Uh -uh. uh-uh, that violates the major questions doctrine as articulated in the EPA case that we discussed at the end of last year's Supreme Court term. But in addition, it violated the Administrative Procedures Act and how they went about it, because, again, of course, they completely ignore any participatory or democratic role in the process. But to give you an idea how pernicious this was, it was a vaccine mandate on anybody who worked or came into contact with the Head Start people. It was a mask mandate on two-year-olds that applied even if they were outdoors. I mean, and they were tracking everybody. It was a massive surveillance program disguised as a Head Start procurement policy. Uh, but uh, credit to the judge who said this is patently illegal, quoted a lot of great constitutional founders, talking about it's the judicial branch's job to keep the executive branch in check. And he did so to his credit and stopped that horrendous policy from going forward in most of the country. Fantastic, uh, Robert. I, it's, it's, it's amazing. There's 23,600 and some odd people watching now. This is amazing. Uh, Salty Crackers Live. So once we wind up, I, I think, have we agreed on V&B Army? Or are we going with V&B Crew? Chat- uh, or if you, when you enter the chat, go to Salty Crackers Chat, just say, good, good. <laughs> okay, that's it. It's done. People, Barnes has spoken. It is good, good. When you mosey on over, let them know. How you got there with a good, good. Uh, Robert, so your schedule, Wednesday, who do we have for Sidebar? Uh, we have the one and only author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Oh, that's going to be amazing. That's going to be fantastic. Uh, Rich Dad, Poor and Dad. Then, and I see people in the chat, they want us to get James Lindsay on. So let's see if we can. Oh, he already can. said yes. It's just arranging a time and date. Matt Stoller already said yes. He's arranging a time and date. We will have Mike Davis the week after that, the great lawyer, Gorsuch, former clerk exposing all the ridiculousness with the Trump raid. He's been fantastic on a range of issues the following Wednesday. And Monday, uh, I'm sorry, Tuesday, 7 o'clock Eastern time, what are the odds with Richard Barris here on Rumble, breaking down the campaign? And Thursday, 1 o'clock YouTube and Rumble, uh, with the Duran live. All right, everybody, enjoy what's left of the weekend. Uh, I, I'm going to feel guilty if I don't do it. Happy pass, uh, Happy Passover. Is there uh, a hurricane show. down there or something? The, like the hurricane is, seems to be coming in on Tuesday or Wednesday. So we've got a ah, generator. So this, will this be your first hurricane? It will be my first hurricane. Are the kids and excited or terrified? They're excited. I plan on riding the roof of the house with a flag. So we're going <laughs> to... And, and I got a drone. So I, I'll, I'll, I'll document everything. But uh, it, it, we're, we're getting set up. Just to make sure we have everything. Um, it, it, it'll be fun. It'll be fun. I'm not... I, I'm excited to fish on flooded streets and see what I can catch. But it'll be good. Uh it's Rosh Hashanah. So everyone out there celebrating, enjoy it. And, and uh, all the uh, Rumble stockholders got to celebrate this past week. So, you know, congratulations it, to all of them as well. It's amazing to see the, the, what Rumble has succeeded in doing. Someone in the, uh, in the chat on YouTube said agreement, and they, they didn't seem to know. People, PR, uh, it, it, it doesn't, it's, it's, it's my channel on YouTube, but it involves Barnes as well, just in, in, for our weekly streams. But I have signed exclusive um, content creation with uh, Rumble. So oh, I, it, I'm going above and beyond. We're doing everything exclusive on Rumble after a certain point because it will force Rumble to evolve faster and it will sensitize people to the fact that there's another platform out there. There's an alternative. Stay on YouTube. The, the streams go up the next day so people can still see it there. Um, 
but Rumble is the future. And now I hear kids screaming loud out there. Uh, people, go. Enjoy the weekend. Check out Barnes Tuesday, Thursday. I'll be going live during the week and Wednesday sidebar. Robert, stick around. We'll say our proper goodbyes. And I need to remember, it takes five seconds for Rumble to end. So I'm just going to sit here with my fingers up. Peace out, peeps.